This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field team. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go! Cody Bellinger hits one out. Beat on. He's your home run Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. You are not going to believe. Before I tell you, everybody who's going to be on the show today, literally less than a minute ago, Commander Cody... Ask me a question. Does your wife have hairspray? I went, what? Like, what do you need it for? I, you know, I mean, I didn't know if he was going to say, well, you know, I want to make my hand stickier for the ball, for control of the ball. I didn't know if he needed it for something with the technology we're using. Oh, no. He said, I need hairspray for my hair. Will you get on and tell me what 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 do you why do you need hairspray? We're on radio. Well, I have big plans after the show, so I don't want my hair to be messed up. I feel it already starting to move a little bit on the top there. So you you're not gonna go home before you go by the way, happy birthday. Thank you. Thirty one feels no different than turning thirty. Um yeah, it really doesn't. No, like I was excited about thirty. Now that I'm thirty one, I'm like, eh. I, I don't even feel like it's my birthday. I just feel like it's another day. No, it's your special day. No, I, I just brought my lunch pill and I go to work. That's what I do. It's your Today is your special day. No one can take it away from you. It's your birthday. You can get away with a lot of things on your birthday. You can do a lot of stupid things on your birthday, and people will forgive you. Well, see, actually, when you say it's your day, it's actually not. Uh, when it comes to my significant other and family, her sister's uh, wedding anniversary was last year. They're, they got married last year, so I share that. My my birthday is now their wedding anniversary, so I'm going to be overshadowed. No, no, you'll never be overshadowed. By her family, yes. My family, No, 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 not. trust me. The wedding anniversary, after a couple of years, nobody cares. I said talk to me when you hit two years, and we, we can. No one even remembers. Like, you know, I had a big wedding. Literally, if you polled everybody at my wedding and say, what was that date that Amanda and Chris got married on way back when in 2001. Hell, no one would remember. Well, I mean, I don't know what it is. Do you, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dare to ask. Do you, do you remember what it is? Yes, it's July 28th. Okay, 1991. Huh? You said 1991? 2001. 2001, okay. 1991? I was in college in 1991. That's the year I got to San Jose. 
Okay, so 10 years later, wow. God, if I got married in 91, I'd shoot myself. How old are you? So how old were you got married? 28? Yeah, 28, 29, something okay, like that. Okay, so right around, I was 27. Oh, your first failed marriage. Yes. That's why I said when her sister makes it two years, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> then we can talk. We can start talking about anniversaries. You mean your first failed marriage. Yeah. Okay. I, like I told you last night, when we, oh, were, for one. when we were out trick-or-treating, if it fails again, I can just start going as Ross Geller for Halloween every year. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can just keep going as the guy that gets divorced. Mike Farron from MLB Network Radio was going to join us at 1.30. Richard Justice. Cannot wait to talk to Richard Justice. MLB.com. But he's more than just MLB.com. He's boots on the ground in Houston. He worked for the Houston Chronicle as a calmness and a beat writer for many, many years. If there's anybody that knows the Astros, it's Richard Justice. I cannot wait to get into the dirt of what's going on because it is my belief and many others, including Jim Duquette, former GM of the Orioles and the Mets who works for uh, Sirius XM MLB channel, and you see him on MLB Network, that Major League Baseball is going to allow the Nationals to have their due as the Nationals are going to have their parade tomorrow, which, oh, by the way, think about tomorrow. It's Saturday. Have we ever seen a team have a parade on the weekend? Right? Think about that. How crazy it's going to be in the district. How crazy it's going to be in our nation's capital. Usually you win the World Series or the NBA Finals, Stanley Cup Final, and you have the parade during the week. I don't know how you how – you, I don't even know if we can look this up. But I do – I do not I do not remember any team having a parade on the weekend. Cer- certainly not the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday, a couple days later you have the parade. They're going to have a parade on Saturday. It's going to be wild. We're going to have Chip Hale on the program. That's right. Former athletics bench coach, grew up here in the South Bay. Chip Hale is going to join us. How cool is that? We are so happy for him. We are so happy for all the A's guys. Sean Doolittle. You think about Sean, who grew up an A. You think about Kurt Suzuki, who grew up an A. My children used to wear, if you remember back, they gave out the Kurt Suzuki jersey that had the long sleeves. It was a white shirt with yellow sleeves, if you remember back. You got to be kind of a hardcore fan to remember that. My kids used to wear those to sleep. And I will never forget taking a picture of my daughter sleeping. It was just her back, and you could see Suzuki. And I tweeted it out to him, and he retweeted it and loved it. I mean, Kurt's a hell of a guy. I mean, he, you know, so is Sean. I mean, both these guys, you think about who they are as people. You know, not every guy that's come through the clubhouse is is Mary Poppins, let's be honest. But when you think of, like, really, really good people, like the one guy that can talk about every guy is Steve Vucinich. 
because he's been here since day one. He knows where all the bodies are buried. I mean, Vuce would tell you how special these two guys are. Fernando Rodney was not very good for the athletics. Let's be honest. But you know what? They liked him. In the clubhouse, they liked him. Big food guy, big personality, veteran guy, Grandpa Shark, as they're calling him in, in Washington. So I'm happy for Fernando Rodney. He, he had trouble getting people out here, but he was not a bad guy. So we'll talk to Chip Hale about how special it is to win the World Series, about how crazy it's going to be tomorrow, uh, and they're going to visit the White House, I believe, on Monday, and just soak it all in your world champs. You're the best of the best, and a wild ride. Can't wait to talk to Chip coming up here at 3 o'clock. Ben Ross will be here at 3.30. Daniel, correct me, is it Moskos? Daniel from Driveline, who we've had Mosca, on? Moskos. Moskos. How is it Moskos, M-O-S-K-O-S? I thought we went through this last time, and I tried listening back to the interview to see how he say his name, and you just said, Daniel, welcome to the show, and I'm like, oh, man. How do you? How is it? Kiss K O S. I know. I'll, I'll go back. I'll do what we did last time, where we had to go find like Pittsburgh Pirates audio of it's saying. The he's saying a, his name. a former big league pitcher, and he's now with Driveline. And trust me, he'll be fascinating. He's going to be here at uh, at two thirty. Moss kiss. Yeah, Driveline. I can tell you has changed baseball in a lot of ways. And the real question is. Going forward with all these gurus, right? You got the Texas Pitching Ranch. You got Driveline up in the Pacific Northwest. You got a bunch of hitting gurus out there. There ends up being the question of, okay, if our players, let's just say an A, player X goes into the offseason and goes up to Driveline. And Driveline tells pitcher X all this different stuff when Scott Emerson has a throwing program for Pitcher X in the offseason. We've talked to Emo recently. He keeps in contact with his pitchers. They have an idea and a program of what they want to accomplish in the offseason. Well, what if Player X scraps all of that and goes up to driveline or the pitching ranch in Texas or whoever? And then comes back from spring training and goes, yeah, all that stuff we talked about we were going to do in the offseason, yeah, I scrapped that. I'm working on this now. That's where baseball kind of is right now. You want a guy doing one thing, and you've got this independent coach at one of these places telling you another. And that's where some teams are starting to have trouble. Now, in the ideal world, what you learn at a place like Driveline will be something that will be in line with what the club wants you to do, and it makes you a better pitcher. I will never forget friend of the program, Barry Zito. If you remember back in the day, leaves the Oakland Athletics, goes into the offseason, signs a mega deal for like $124 million with the San Francisco Giants to now be essentially the face of their organization because the face at the time was Barry Bonds, and they were looking to transition away from Barry Bonds. You know, even Barry's last year was really good. Like, who wouldn't – you know what? 
I'll, I'll look it up for you. It really is when, when you think that they basically blackballed Barry Bonds out of baseball. It, it, it you just and I know he he tried to prove this and I don't know if he took it to arbitration or whatever he did, but he tried to prove he was blackballed out of baseball and did not win his case. 2007, Barry Bonds' numbers. Who wouldn't take this? He had over 1,000 OPS, 1,045 at 42 years old. He was an all-star, okay? He led baseball in slugging percentage at 480, had 28 home runs in 126 games. He led Major League Baseball in walks. He had 132 walks at the age of 42. Now, let's take the name Bonds out. And I just said, hey, you got a guy who's 42 years old. But uh, the guy led baseball in slugging. The guy led baseball in walks. His OPS is well over 1,000, and he still hit 28 dingers in a non-friendly home ballpark for hitting. And he was an all-star. Would you take that guy? I would take that guy. I Would you take that guy over Chris Davis right now? Take Chris Davis out of it. Let's say the A's didn't have Chris Davis. If I told you there's a guy who's going to be 43 years old, but last year he led, the, led all of baseball in slugging, led all of baseball in walks, and still hit 28 home runs. And it'll still probably hit 30 or more coming over to Oakland. Would you take that guy? Yeah, well, no one would. Hard to believe. No one would take him. And, oh, yeah, how about this? This is another classic. At 42 years old, nobody in Major League Baseball had more intentional walks than Barry Bonds. So they signed Zito because they want to transition away from Bonds. And they want Zito to be the guy. And Zito shows up with a different pitching motion in spring training, if anybody remembers that. And everybody went, what are you doing? (laughs) I will never forget that. Yeah, you go work with somebody else, you don't know what the player's going to look like coming back. Coming up next here on A's Cast Live, we're going to talk about There's an article in The Athletic about what every team's need is. I don't agree with theirs. We'll talk about it next right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. This is one thing I'll never understand. We've been doing this show for five months. And the guy still doesn't understand how a commercial break works. I set these up for three minutes, and he's still not back. Oh, now he's back. So it's okay. I had to carry the show for you while you're while you're gone. Well, in the business, usually you have more than three minutes. In the real world, well, this is streaming radio. We don't need the we don't need breaks. <laughs> it's not radio. It's streaming. <laughs> By the way, yeah, normally you have more than three minutes to be able to do something. I, I went back and looked. It's Daniel Moskis, so I was, I was right. And so KOS is KISS? Yeah. Huh. And uh, also, the last time a parade was held on a weekend for a team, the St. Louis Blues and Gloria held their parade on Saturday, June 15th of this year. 
Real, but how many have there been? There can't be a well, lot. Well, that was the most recent one. I, I that was the first one I could find. I didn't dig too deep, but that's the most recent one that happened. Was the blue, uh, the blue was a couple months ago. And usually, when you clinch, it's a lot sooner because I mean they clinched on Wednesday, and you're waiting days. Obviously, you clinched on the road, but you're waiting days to have the parade. Usually, they get the parade right out of the gate. I tell you, that's going to be a party. I mean, right now, D, I mean, if you've never been to D.C., D.C. is awesome. And that's why I can't wait to talk to Chip about this. If they do it like the, the Capitals, who recently won the Stanley Cup, they did the parade around the monuments. We'll make it even more historic. D.C. is a great city. I'm actually taking my kids there in February. I was able to go last year when the Raiders took on the Ravens. I got on a train early Saturday morning and went down to D.C. and just, I mean, you go to the Capitol building, and then you go right across from the Capitol building is Supreme Court. Then you Uber down, there's the Treasury building, and then you walk past the Treasury building, there's the White House. I mean, then you walk down to uh, Washington Monument, and then you walk down to see Lincoln. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And then you got all the Smithsonian's and everything. So I highly recommend the trip. But the fact that they're going to be doing the parade around that will be unreal. Okay, so for the athletics coming up, since we're now in the offseason, the athletic put out an article saying the biggest need for the A's in the offseason is bullpen. I don't think any of us are going to disagree with that, but I think that's too easy. Because I think you could honestly say just about every team could use bullpen help. Every single, I mean, maybe the only team, you maybe the Yankees. But, I mean, realistically, everybody in baseball could use one, two, three, four good arms. So I look at that. And I, I take that out and go, yeah, that's that, that's too easy. I still think you're looking at second base. And if you could solidify second base with a consistent contributor, offensively and defensively, who actually has a better infield than the A's? It's the only thing they're missing. I mean, you start looking at, you're going to have gold at first and third. And there's a really good chance you're going to have gold at shortstop. Three gold gloves in your infield. If you solidify second base with someone who is good defensively, I don't need them to be all world. I would love them to be Robbie Alomar. But I know that's not a reality. Okay, I'm not expecting Joe Morgan. I'm not expecting a Hall of Fame. But if you give me somebody who can solidify the infield, can you imagine? What if you did? What if someone emerged? Because I don't think that's going to be Jerks and Profar. And I know I harped on him a lot this year. It wasn't because he's a bad guy. It's just he's got throwing issues. We know that. He's got consistency issues. Because he wasn't very consistent with the bat either. You know, there, was, there were times he'd run into a few, and you'd be like, oh, look at the home run numbers. But overall, the year wasn't great. And you don't get consistency 
defensively at all. You know, we just had Steve Blass on the feed, uh, on the program. 1971 World Series hero. But he ended up having control problems. He was the first guy. And you've seen it throughout the years. And for some reason, second base gets pretty popular with this, where you got Steve Sachs, Chuck Knobloch. It happens. Mackie Sasser behind the plate. Rick Ankeel on the mound. Remember how good Rick Ankeel was? Rick Ankeel looked like, oh, my God, this guy's incredible. Next thing you know, one pitch, threw it to the backstop, and he was never the same. He was such a good baseball player, he made it back as a position player. That's how talented Rick Ankeel was. But it also shows you how mental this game is. And what about Franklin Barreto? What about Franklin Barreto? He was the jewel of the Donaldson trade. They made that trade. They told us they made the trade because they threw Franklin Barreto in there. Franklin Barreto had a fantastic spring. Didn't make the ball club. Went down to the Aviators. Struggled. And just like every single other time we saw him come up, struggled when he came to the big league level. Is it finally time to say, Franklin, it's your job. It's your job to lose. But if you go 0 for 4 three straight days, we're not pulling you. You're going to play. Is it his time? And if it's not his time, then where do you go? You brought up Sheldon Noisy. He's blocked at third, so put him at second. He held his own. Do you give him the shot? How about a guy that we didn't see, kind of shockingly? Jorge Mateo. Jorge Mateo had a strong year in Las Vegas. And that's kind of the deal that that, that is very tough for, for the Billy Beans and David Forrest of the world. How do you judge AAA stats when there's 2,000 more home runs? 2,000 more home runs than the year before because they're all using the big league ball now. Think about that. 2,000 more home runs. I don't know how you really judge hitters. I don't know how you really judge pitchers. Are they really that bad? I mean, you looked at the ERAs. You looked down and go, man, everybody's well over four. There's guys who you think that are good that are in, have a seven ERA. But Jorge Mateo brings athleticism. You're going to give him a shot at second base. He can run like the wind and had a, had a really good year. That is the position for me because I think everything else is pretty much, you're pretty much good. I mean, even the catching tandem, right? You know Sean Murphy is the future, but you got a veteran presence there. You can ride that two-horse. I mean, you always want to have a, a hitter that's righty and a hitter that's lefty at catcher, but, you know, what you got there right now is solid. Your outfield with Piscotty coming back, and Mark Canna proved to us this year, he has to play. Mark Canna has to be in the lineup. He, he's just too good. And then Ramon Laureano, he's coming back. So your outfield will be very right-handed, but that's pretty much what you're looking at. So that's really the good news for the A's is their offseason, yeah, you can say 
you can say, no doubt, that, oh, you got to get more bullpen help. But that's that, that's everywhere. And, yeah, I mean, that's probably what they're going to focus a lot on. But how are you going to handle second base? And Jer- Jerks and Profar is up for arbitration. You want to pay him $6 million or whatever it's going to be? I doubt it. So that, that that will be the position, I think, going into spring training that we're all going to be looking at. Franklin Barreto, in 23 games, hit 123. Jerks and Profar, in 139, hit 218. I mean, something's got to give here. Noisy, in 25, hit 250. Who is going to man that spot? Everywhere else, you're pretty much set. You know, even though Josh Fegley's an older catcher, you know, he still gave you 12 bombs, 62 RBIs. You platooned him with Murphy. But somebody has to emerge in that second base spot. And who is that going to be? I don't know yet. You know, soon we're going to have to get Bob Melvin back on the horn. We're giving him a little time off. We're giving him a little breather. But get Bob back uh, on the show and be like, what are you looking at? The World Series is over. We're now heading to the offseason. You got some big names heading for free agency. You got teams that need to reload. Mike Farron from Sirius XM MLB Network Radio is going to join us next to help us with those answers right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the East Bay. A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Mike Farron is the host of the Power Alley with friend of the program, Jim Duquette. Jim's good. Mike also is a host on TV for the Diamondbacks. Was that the pregame show? He'll be joining us in moments. Carlos Beltran is now the new manager of the Mets. 42 years old, he'll become the first Latino manager in Mets history. How much did the Mets look over and see how Aaron Boone has done with the New York Yankees and take a guy that doesn't have managing experience? I mean, you just don't know how a guy is going to be and how he's going to run a club. But Carlos Beltran is a guy who's going to walk right in with credibility right away, right? He's already a special assistant um, with the Yankees, so he's been around it. And we'll see what Mike thinks about it. Mike, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics. We appreciate you coming on. Hey, Chris. I'm happy to be with you. How are things? Things are good. Just after Halloween, a little trick-or-treating with the kids, and now we focus on the offseason, and we get the news today that the Mets have made a move. Carlos Beltran going to be their new manager. How do you think that's going to work for him in Flushing? You know, it's a good question. I'm a little, i got to say, I'm a little disappointed just in the sense that I've worked with Eduardo Perez for a couple of years and really, really like him and was really hopeful that he would end up there, but... Uh, Carlos is one of the brighter ball players I think that most of us have come across. You you can't help but um, but find respect for him um, just by not just by what he accomplishes as a player, but in dealing with him as a person. He's extremely bright. 
Um, he is someone who, you know, really ha- has a great feel for baseball. And I think, you know, walking into that room and having some big personalities and veteran guys like Robinson Cano, just just being able to know that what you're, you're talking about a player who's a borderline Hall of Fame candidate, I think that's going to carry a lot. And I think he's very good at communicating with people. So it's a little bit of a risky move, I guess, in that he hasn't coached or managed before. But if anybody can handle it, I think it is likely Carlos. Yeah, how much do you think they were looking over at the Yankees and Aaron Boone and seeing how successful he's been? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I think Brody Van Wagen, more than anything, was looking for somebody who was, you know, his guy that he could – kind of grow with. I mean, Brody, when he came in last year, inherited Mickey Calloway as the manager there. And so he wanted to be in a position, I think, where he you know, felt like he was aligned philosophically. And and it seems like that's probably most likely what's happened. I mean, Beltran spent a lot of his career with the Yankees and with the Astros. And so he's been exposed to a lot of the more cutting edge ideas. Um, and I think that those are, you know, positives for him in, in walking into that role with the Mets. And uh, I'm sure it probably had as much to do with the fact that, you know, he was interested in a job. Um, you know, he was rumored as a, a candidate for the Yankees. And when uh, Aaron Boone uh, got the job, in fact, I believe he interviewed with Brian Cashman at that point. So uh, so I think it probably had more to do just with the fact that, you know, Beltran was interested, wanted to manage in New York, had a relationship with the Mets because he played there, that it did, you know, as an answer to Aaron Boone coming out of the TV booth to be the manager of the Yankees. We just had your partner on, Jim Duquette, talking about this. Kind of a Oh, no. <laughs> He's great, isn't he? Uh, he's the best. So we were, talking, we were talking about this crazy World Series. You know, only one game was close, but it was really a wild World Series. You know, I saw and my buddy Andy McCullough from The Athletic was writing about that the other day. He was talking about how the first five games weren't all that exciting, and I was like, what, what World Series were you watching? The games were close through the middle. And even the ones that ended up being, you know, four, one, five, one, seven, one games. Even the, the losing team had tons of opportunities to score runs early on, and couldn't cash in. And I think a lot of times, rather than you know back and forth, those teams struggling with those opportunities helps to build drama. And we certainly saw that in in Game Seven, right? I mean, the Astros had what. 10 runners that they left on base against Scherzer through the first five innings. I mean, that's a pretty remarkable total. And then, you know, they down. But I, I thought it was a pretty compelling World Series. In fact, I, you know, I know there were probably better games and better comebacks in the 2018 series with the Red Sox winning, but I enjoyed this World Series more than I did last year's. And just the fact that the road team won every single game. We actually, Nuts. yeah, we actually talked. We, it's going to air later today, but we actually a good friend Chip Hale of ours, who is the yeah. bench bench coach for the Nationals, and I asked him. I said, Chip, why do you think that is? And he goes, Well, you know what? And this was probably the best answer I've heard because no one really has had an answer of why the road team has done so well. He talked about how Major League Baseball sets the timing for the World Series, and the home team takes batting practice so early and then you're put you're put on ice before the start of the game he thinks that might be at least i don't know about you that's the best explanation i guess i've heard so far i think it's a good theory and i love chip too i you know i was fortunate in 16 to be with him with the diamondbacks my first year there he was the manager and i was so happy for him as a baseball lifer to get his ring like that that just means so much um, I, I, you know, like, I like the theory from Chip, but I think, you know, I, I kind of made this point yesterday. 
Chris, like it, for as much as we talk about what we think we know about, we don't really know anything, right, in the end. And we make a big deal out of home field advantage, but most of the information shows us that home field advantage in baseball isn't really as important as it is in other sports. And to me, that probably drives home the point more than anything. Now, are we ever going to see it again? Probably not. I mean, I think we're probably more likely to see, what have we had, three World Series in the last 32 years, three or four, where the home teams have won it every single game? It doesn't happen all that often. I don't think that we may ever see it again, but I do think it, it is what we should take from it is, hey, listen, this idea that home field advantage is super, super important for teams and whether or not they win or lose isn't all that important. It's important, I think, from an organization standpoint to play as many games in front of your fans as possible. And I think it's important as a fan to want to see your team play as many games in your home park as possible. But for the actual winning and losing outside of the entertainment aspect, I don't think it's quite as important as we try to make it out to be. From an A's perspective, obviously we're going to be looking closely at Garrett Cole because right now he affects the A's being on the a- uh, on the Astros. He's a free agent. He would dramatically affect the A's if he stays in division and he either goes back to the Astros or rumored to the Angels. We would awfully wouldn't want to see him with the Yankees at all. I would love it if he signed with the San Diego Padres or the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, if you had to handicap this thing, where do you think Garrett Cole will end up? Well, first of all, I want to say thanks for looking out for yourself. First, yes, of course. As a Diamondbacks broadcaster, I really appreciate the idea of Garrett Cole being in the National League West. Thanks a lot. All right, you know what? Let's um, let, 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 <laughs> let's send him to the NL East. How about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think the the safe money though is on Cole going back west. Um, I think that's the the biggest thing, and and I would think that you know the Dodgers. Andrew Friedman has said in the past that he feels like starting pitching is the single most overvalued commodity. I don't know if his feeling on that has changed over the last three or four years. I'd be curious to see if it does as he gets into free agency this year because Cole is a pretty special player. I think the safe money is on the Angels. He grew up in Orange County. He went to Angels games. He went to UCLA. You know, he's, he, he kind of checks all the boxes there. And you saw it. Like, that's not a terrible team, but they had terrible pitching. And if they can fix the pitching with Trout and what will hopefully be for them a healthy Upton and um, Joe Adele coming and some of the pieces that they have offensively, I actually think they should be a pretty good team next year. So I think it's easy to say that's the safe money. Now, that said, it just doesn't feel like – He's going to go east. He's already spurned the Yankees once. He did that as an amateur. I'm not sure as much as they would love to have Garrett Cole, unless their number is ridiculous on it, that he's going to end up there. I think it's a much safer bet that he ends up in the AL West. Sorry. Or if he goes to the NL West, I'll throw you a sleeper team in there, too, is the Giants. Wow. Yeah. Didn't see that one coming. I think that that's, I mean, that's something I've heard a little bit in the last couple of weeks is that they would be interested in Cole to anchor the rotation. I think there's this perception that they're a team that's rebuilding. And I don't think their ownership has never wanted to rebuild. They're not interested in rebuilding. And I think they're looking, you know, they played on Harper last year. And I think when you have high-end players available, I think if you're in a, in a position like the Giants are, you know, I mean, I think it's a team that you look at and go, okay, you know, he's the kind of guy you get. 
Uh, so I, I would not be surprised if they play on him. I don't know that he's going to end up there, but it's it's just a team to think about in the mix with them. Well, his brother-in-law, Brandon Crawford, is the shortstop, yep. and, his, and uh, his wife grew up in Pleasanton uh, in, in the East Bay, so I could maybe see that. Hey, from the from the Diamondbacks' perspective, not yeah. pretty decent season. You trade Grinky. What was the reaction like? What was your reaction like when they traded Grinky to Houston? <laughs> Well, I was surprised only from this standpoint. They, Mike Hazen has been steadfast in saying that they would only move Grinky if they were able to get a return for him that they felt like was commiserate with the talent. They weren't just going to dump money, at, and they weren't going to eat every last dollar either because they felt like he'd been paid fairly because he'd been really good. So I was a little bit surprised that they were able to thread the needle and pull it off, but I don't think it. I think it, the thing is that it's been met mostly with um, a positive reaction from Diamondbacks fans, not because they uh, didn't appreciate Grinky, but I think they see the plan. Mike Hazen's outlined the plan. We need to, you know, he, when he. I know a lot of times uh, you hear executives say sustainable, and and it makes you think, oh, they're going to go out and do this on the cheap. They're really competitive, and they've tried to win every year. They haven't sold the far or you know, sold off players to just completely rebuild so i think what you're seeing is that the the fans have buy-in and okay they want to win they're going to try and and build uh, a team that um you know allows them the most flexibility to be able to add players as possible and so there's buy-in from it and it helps that you know they had they bought a little bit of 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 credibility with the fan base in trading paul goldschmidt and getting carson kelly and luke weaver who you know before weaver got hurt was pitching really well and kelly had an excellent year so i think all of those things have kind of factored into it and they've been okay with the grinky deal and now the diamondbacks are in a position where they have some flexibility this offseason to be able to spend they're going to try and upgrade their offense they have some depth in the starting pitching so it's not like they have to pay at the high end there and i think that they're going to be competitive you know at the very least for a wild card if not in the national league west as a whole let's end on this for you and Jim, what's the number one storyline for you guys heading into the offseason? Um, for us heading into the offseason, I don't know. It's probably whether or not Jim will actually pick up a check at the winter meetings. That's wow. Probably good no. you, you, <laughs> hey, you know what? We'll be down there. I'll buy you a beer. That I, listen, I will drink that beer, and I might buy you one too. No, I think. I mean, I think our, the biggest storyline is like, are we going to have a, an off season? Like, are we? Is it going to be the same junk that we've had to go through for the last three years, where we just spend time rolling our eyes at the fact that nobody wants to spend and nobody wants to trade and everybody wants to be stuck in the middle? And now, I made the point yesterday morning. I'm like, listen, maybe maybe I'm being a little bit of a Pollyanna in this, but there are a lot more front offices whose jobs are on the line this year going in than in the past. And I think we're also to the sweet spot in the collective bargaining agreement. And that generally, in the last couple, so if you go back to the previous CBA, the first two years, spending wasn't where – it was at the end of the the CBA. There was a little bit more cautiousness. And this year, it was through the first three years, and I think part of it is because the collective bargaining agreement wasn't agreed to until like the day before the winter meeting started or two days before the winter meeting started in 2016. So I think that you've kind of gone through this adjustment period with it. So couple that with front offices whose tails are on the line and some teams that could really use to spend because they've seen declining attendance and interest in their team. And I think all of that is going to factor in. So I'm hopeful that that means 
coupled with teams coming out of the rebuild, having a need to compete, that we're going to have a much more active winter. And I think San Diego's, you know, San Diego's a place in that last CBA that the winter meetings really, like that was a crazy winter meetings in 2015. That was a nuts year um, going into the 2015 season. I think that has a chance to do that too, because I do think there is something about San Diego that like, nobody wants to actually stay in the hotel. Everybody wants to go out to dinner, go out, do things, and it leads your mind to get away from grinding through everything in the hotel suite a little bit, and I think it helps to, to foster a better environment for deals. Mike, great stuff. Hope to have you on again soon, and I will be buying you beers in San Diego. <laughs> that I am looking forward to anytime. And let me tell you, we are so impressed, uh, it, not just with the Diamondbacks, but with Sirius, with all the stuff that you guys are doing on AceCast. It is so cool. It is such a great idea. We absolutely love it so like keep up the great work because i listen a lot and i cannot tell you how much i appreciate what you're doing tony hey thank you so much mike that really means a lot and 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 because of that i'll even buy you more beers in san diego <laughs> that's good uh, that's good i will uh, finish them both quickly <laughs> thank so you, you mike <laughs> take care you too bye mike farron host of the power I, I i'm trying to tell you what we're doing here is historic, and everybody in baseball is paying attention. That's a guy right there, Diamondbacks, Sirius XM. I mean, that's why every day we thank Dave Cavill, we thank Chris Giles, we thank the the Professor Matt Pearl, we thank Commander Cody. I mean, this is why I left 95-7. I didn't have to leave 95-7. I was in the middle of a contract. I could have stayed there. Continue to do all the stuff that I was doing. But I left because I knew, A, I love the A's. My loyalty is to the A's because they have been so good to my family. And I'll always be loyal to them. But I also knew what we were doing was historic. Trust me. Years from now, what you hear on A's cast and what you hear on A's cast live is going to be going on in every single baseball market. And everybody's going to remember, we did it first. That's why you get the guests that we get. You know, most shows, like here in the Bay Area, I can tell you, they try and pull off football shows. They try and pull off NBA shows. All they do is talk to writers. And no offense, writers, but how many times do you want? It's a guy from the Washington Post. It's a guy from the... I mean... We get, we get current players, we get Hall of Famers, we get Ford C. Frick Award winners, we get the biggest names in the game, the biggest names covering the game. I mean, Mike's partner, Jim Duquette, we get, we get front office people. You know, if it wasn't for the little scandal that happened, not little, if it wasn't for the scandal in Houston, Reed Ryan was going to be on. We were going to get Nolan Ryan. But all of a sudden, you know, you're not talking Astros anymore. The Astros, you know, they went dark. But that's what we do. So it's very nice of him to say that. Happy birthday, Cody, and uh, congratulations. Those are very nice words from a guy who's got a pretty big-time show on Sirius XM and also works for the Diamondbacks. When I reached out to him about coming on the show, it's the first thing he said. He goes, I love what you guys are doing with AceCast. I've been following from, you know, we at the Diamondbacks and we at Sirius Love it because I'll let, I'll take people behind the curtain. I had an offer with MLB Network Radio a few years ago that I turned down, and their their PD, their the guy that interviewed me is now their PD who runs the whole operation, 
and he now knows I work for the A's, so he knows what he kind of knows what we're doing from when I reached out to him about having people on. But I reached out to Mike directly, and he told me about that. And I was like, okay, well, look, you know, we know that MLB Network, the TV station, is following us because I am in direct contact with their guys. But seeing that the Diamondbacks and the Mariners and other teams are reaching out, and SiriusXM Radio was liking it, it's you know, this is something that as you echo, I'm going to echo what you said. I, I left knowing that this was the future and what I wanted to do, and we. The team we have, thanks to Giles and, and Cavill and the professor and Joey and you and I and the face Alex Jensen, like what we're doing is, is historic and I'm glad to be a part of it. You better th- you know you better mention Roxy, you're gonna get something on Twitter. Yeah, sure. Roxy, he's gonna be very upset if we don't credit. Thank you to Alan Bernstein for everything he's <laughs> the great done. Alan Bernstein. Also, um, you talked about historic. On this date, nineteen sixty six, the great Sandy Koufax became the first pitcher in Major League Baseball history to win three Cy Young Awards after going an incredible 27-9 with a 173 ERA and 317 strikeouts. 27-9? and nine? I don't care. The ERA's great, and we've seen a low ERA like that with Arietta and Granke. How last... many starts did he have? Well, right there, there's that's already, uh, what, 38 decisions? <laughs> okay, wait a minute. I'm going to look this up. Wait. 36, sorry. What, what, what year? 1966. Now, that was his last year. His last year. He started 41 games. <laughs> no wonder his arm fell off. How many innings? 323. So he pretty much almost struck out a batter per inning that year. Okay. So in back-to-back years, 29 and 30, Sandy Koufax started 41 games in back-to-back years. And in 1965, 41 starts but 43 games. He pitched in two games in relief. He threw 335 and two-thirds innings. He struck out 382 batters. That's incredible. Uh, that's why some people swear he's the best pitcher of all time. Uh, he, I mean, you know. His numbers are stupid. I, I went back, and I did a lot of, a lot of uh, tape study on him. He was, he was incredible at Cincinnati, what he did with the Brooklyn Dodgers, the L.A. Dodgers. All right, how about this one? I was joking with the tape too. I didn't go back and watch that. You didn't. You didn't go watch the tape. No, but I did read. I did read the book about him. The book about him is really good. Nineteen sixty-three, at the age of twenty-seven, Sandy Koufax goes twenty-five and five, with a one point eight eight ERA, forty starts, eleven shutouts, leads all of baseball. By the way, his wins, his ERA, and shutouts lead all of baseball. He struck out 306 guys in 311 innings. His whip was 0.875. I mean, it's it's crazy. His hits per nine inning was just 6.2. I mean, just down the line, everything about it's like it's it's unbelievable that four year his four year stretch. I think it's safe to say I will not research this. I'm just gonna throw it out there. His four-year stretch of winning 25, 19, 26, and 27 in modern-day baseball, I guarantee you nobody matches that. No, and I was just looking. Uh, leading up to the year where he had the 11 shutouts, he had nine career shutouts going into that year. Now looking at his ERA, the 188, the 174, and then I don't, I don't know what happened to him. This 204 ERA, that's – He was getting rocked. Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's, like, that's not Hall of Fame numbers. Then he went back to 173 in his final year where his arm fell off. Uh, I, I'll look. I don't think uh, Bob Gibson came no close. Way. No uh, way. Garrett Cole, sorry, didn't do it. No, no, no. Four, t- the guy's starting 40 games a year. 40. I can't even get a guy to go 30, and he's starting 40. 
Who had the most starts this year? It was probably around, what, 33, 34? Probably I would say around somewhere around 34. I'll, I'll see if I can find the. I mean, this guy's rolling out 40, 40 starts a year. I mean, that guy's worth the $300 million. If you ever had a pitcher, you know, because they're talking about Scott Boris potentially could open the bidding saying, we want $300 million. So we did a little math, a little math. And seven years, three hundred million seven years, that's uh about forty three million a year. So that four year stretch for Koufax, he was averaging uh twenty he was averaging uh, a record of twenty four and seven with three hundred and seven strikeouts per year. That and sh- oh and averaging eight shutouts a year in that four year stretch. All right, so let's say Cole does it in eight years, three hundred million. That's uh thirty seven point five million a year. That would make him. Who's the high? Now Scherzer. Scherzer makes like forty-two million, I think. But if that's not. He made it this year, but that's not the no, average the, of the, the contract. The highest-paid pitcher in baseball, I think, on um, for a contract was David Price. He got seven for two seventeen, I think. Now you're not. Now how about how about for nine years? Then it's thirty-three point four million a year. Granky makes more. So if he wants to be the highest average guy, he's going to have to get three hundred million in seven years. Yeah, remember Bryce Harper was the highest average guy, and then Mike Trout signed that. No, 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 no. He wasn't. His his average was pretty pretty low. Well, he was aiming to be the highest. Yeah. And then he signed that deal for 13 years, and then Mike Trout's like, hold on. Here, I'm going to resign. But he still wasn't the highest because I think his average is only like $23 million a year. Yeah, in, well, I mean, tough, br- tough break for that guy. Well, you know, Bryce Har- you know, Bryce Harper showed you I want a long-term deal. Technically, I want to be here for a long time. He wanted that. It was the highest guaranteed money at the time wasn't the highest average and then that's when trout blows that away but man look at these Kofax numbers they are just crazy by the way the most games started this year was 34 by well there's a couple guys madison bumgarner aaron nola in the national league marco gonzalez of the mariners uh ivan nova uh, pirate legend what but he pitched for the white Sox. eduardo rodriguez who had a really nice year for the red Sox. And Justin Verlander with 34 starts. These are the guys they've listed on here on Baseball Reference. Verlander, what, is he 35 or 36? He is, I want to say he's 36. Or he's going to be turning 30. Yeah, he'll be 37 in uh, February. Well, that is the, uh, that's the one team that's going to be very interesting from the green and gold perspective. Garrett Cole leaves. What are they going to do in Houston? They're down to two mid-30s pitchers and then hoping for what? Are they going to go out and into free agency? I mean, that could be a team. You know, we know that Madison Bumgarner is going to be out there. You know, that could be a team that, you know, you could see like Bumgarner going to. He's not going to command the money that Garrett Cole is. No, another guy. Well, like I told we talked about the other day, McCullers will be back. But the other guys that are out there, you got Ryu who led the uh, – Major League Baseball and ERA this year. Uh, Zach Wheeler, who was a guy that we thought during the deadline could go there. Yeah, Rick Porcello, maybe not. Cole Hamels is getting up there in age. You don't want to have that many guys that old pitching in your rotation. Jake Odorizzi had a really nice year with the Twins. Maybe they bring Dallas Keuchel back. Doubt it, but he's out there too. I think he goes back to the Braves, but who knows? If the Yankees miss out on uh, Cole and possibly Strasburg if he opts out, uh, if they don't sign one of these guys, and these are like the second-tier guys, Brian Cashman's going to get more questions about how come you didn't make more offers to the better offers to Cole and Strasburg. Well, on Monday, 
Monday's a very interesting day. I can't wait to do that show. I don't know. When do they have, when's the actual deadline on Monday for the qualifying offers? Please, please tell me it's before we come on. I'd have to look. Also, the uh, Gold Glove Awards will be announced on Sunday, so that we have that to react to. Also, but Th- that'll be great. But the let me let me look at the qualifying. But the qualifying offers are fascinating because they absolutely change free agency. We will talk about that, and we will talk about what's the next move that goes on with the Houston Astros. And I'm not talking on the field. I'm talking potential discipline from Major League Baseball. Richard Justice, columnist for MLB.com, but is stationed in Houston, will join us next right here on A's Cast Live. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Austin left field deep, Bam going back, looking up, he will watch it fly! And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! It's one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. How often do you hear during a season... And I don't care what season it is. Richard Justice from MLB.com is going to join us in a sec here. Longtime respected journalist, one of the tops in the game. But whether we're talking football, basketball, hockey, baseball, home field advantage, oh, you got to have that best record. Home field advantage. Is it dead? You start looking at numbers of road teams, and I don't care what sport. You can look at the NFL. You can look at Stanley Cup Final, NBA Finals, World Series. Home field advantage, I don't even know what it really means anymore. Richard Justice from MLB.com joins us here on A's Cast Live. Richard, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, and I'm looking at these numbers from all the different sports, and it's truly amazing that we we spend so much time during a season talking about home field advantage, and if you actually look at the numbers in the four main sports here in America, home field advantage doesn't mean what it used to. It's it's hard it's hard to put your finger on it. Yeah, I, th- I think in the baseball playoffs, uh, I think the home team still wins about 58% of the time, although in the Game 7 of the World Series, I think it's – Pretty much, uh, I think the uh, the last forty, the uh, are the only forty game sevens. I think the home uh, the road team has a two game edge. So it's right, and it does feel like that it means less. Although you know, in in the World Series, certainly every game feels like its own little universe, and it it comes down to what pitcher is going to take control and all of that. A lot of moving parts. What's the biggest storyline down there in Houston right now after they lost the World Series? Um, fans think A.J. Hinch mismanaged the game. That's one. I mean, I'm not agreeing with that, but you asked me. Two, Garrett Cole shouldn't wore a Scott Boris cap 20 minutes after game seven. And um, I think three, and I think this is 
the farther you get away from Game 7, I think you try to understand what a special time this is. You've had a team that's won 100 games three years in a row. And uh, all in all, it was a it was a spectacularly successful season, except the players, the manager, the coaches, the front office, and the fans are bitterly, bitterly disappointing. They were they were eight outs away from winning their second World Series in three years and couldn't couldn't finish the deal. Yeah, it really shows you how special the Washington Nationals were that they're the only team in history that took down two different teams that won over 105 games, the Astros 107, the Dodgers 106. Just how impressive was this run by the Washington Nationals? Tom Boswell, the Washington Post, wrote they're the most uh, uh, biggest upset in the history of baseball. And when you consider their path, that they were 19-31. and 31. Look, on opening day, we said uh, their offense is as good as anybody. The rotation's as good as anybody. And I thought with the additions of Kyle Bearclaw and Trevor Rosenthal, the bullpen was going to be good. Obviously, the bullpen threatened to mess up everything. When they were 19-31, and 31, uh, it, w- it went back to the bullpen. The bullpen impacted the rotation. The bullpen impacted the offense. And even the best, the best reliever, Sean Doolittle, I mean, he was overworked in the first half of the season because Davey Martinez was in a position like, I got to get five outs out of him, though. I got to get six outs. We can only do that so many times. So for them to hang together, that says so much about Davey Martinez. And then in the playoffs, just say, okay, we're going to do what the Red Sox did in in, in 18 and the Astros did in 17. We're just going to use the best pitchers. And they're not going to have designations. It's next man up. And they. You know, and to go from 19 and 31 to finish to get in three down in the wild card game, three runs down, three runs down in the deciding game of the division series, it's pretty amazing. You know, we try and put a number and on. And also, it. let me just say, AJ Hinch said at one point during the uh, last weekend, I think he said, "Look, this is not some cute little wild card team making it to the World Series. These guys are good." You take the top six in their lineup, they match up man for man with any lineup in baseball. The top three in their rotation are as good as any, and they figured out something that worked in the bullpen. When you have a lineup that has Trey Turner and Adam Eaton at the top, there's two very annoying guys that can run, can get on base, and then you put one of those guys on base, and you have Rendon, who is one of the five, six, seven best players in baseball, and Juan Soto, who is incredible, an incredible talent, um, you you are putting stress on a pitcher. Yeah, it's a magical run, and and I want to use the word magical because we we try and put a number, we try and put an analytic on everything that happens in baseball. We want to have, we want to know why everything happens in this game. And Richard, that's the one thing you can't put an analytic on it. You can't figure it out with Statcast. There's just something about having that magic, and when a team has it, you're not going to beat them. Well, Will Harris is getting roasted because in the seventh inning, uh, AJ brought him in to face Howie Kendrick. And this AJ Will Harris had been the high leverage guy, their most consistent reliever, and he threw a slider, a curveball, a breaking ball of some kind. Down and away. It was on the low and outside corner of the strike zone. And Howie Kendrick went the other way, clanged it off the foul pole. That shouldn't happen. I mean, that Will made the pitch he wanted to make. Now, I think after the game when he was so distraught, I don't know that if he'd gone and looked at the pitch, but Robinson Chirino said, 
that pitch was where we wanted it to be. I mean, you can argue maybe an inch more out of the strike zone, whatever. Howie Kendrick, there is a time where you have to say, that guy did a better, did a better job, did an amazing job. And, and for him, to, for Howie to hit it off the, the foul pole, says there was something going on with this team. Yeah, and you're just so happy. When you start talking about the names on the team, you know, they have a bunch of XAs. Even Chip Hale is going to join us later in the program today, the bench coach. And just the net, Howie Kendrick, Max Scherzer, Strasburg, these veteran guys who have grinded it out. And let's face it, some of these guys have seen some pretty bad defeats in their career. And that's one of the reasons I think a lot of people in baseball are so happy for them. I agree with you. And uh, I remember I would, after these, you know, since opening day 2012 when Bryce Harper arrived, I think the the Nationals had won the most regular season games in baseball. They may be second to the Dodgers, but they were right there. They just hadn't had any success in October. And um, so, I mean, you know, I lived in Washington for 16 years, and it's hard for me to get my mind around the fact that they have a team because they've gone 33 years without one. And to have a team with that beautiful ballpark and what that ballpark's done, done to this area south of the U.S. Capitol building, I mean, it's a hot area now. And to see all those people doing that baby shark thing, it was it was cool. This doesn't happen that often when a team has a city in the palm of its hand. And it was a mutual love affair. I mean, the, the amount of merchandise sold and how much people were into it, it was very, very sweet. But but they're a bit – they, somebody told me this at spring training when I was in their clubhouse. Look at the guys we added. We added Anibal Sanchez, Kurt Suzuki, Jan Gomes, Brian Dozier, might have been a couple others to go with Ryan Zimmerman, Howie Kendrick, Max Scherzer. And the point he was making was this is a very mature clubhouse. This is what you want. So when you're 19 and 31, what's Max Scherzer going to do? What's Howie Kendrick going to do? They're going to prepare to play the next day and they're going to play their butts off and they're not, their, their approach is not going to change. And that weathers the storm for you, but they're the real deal. I mean, it's not fluke. Trey Turner is a great player. I mean, and uh, Anthony Rendon's one of the five, six, seven best players in the game. And Juan Soto, it's hard to believe he's 21. And tomorrow, since you lived in D.C., you'll understand this. They're going to have the parade tomorrow on Saturday, and they're going to go through the parade route. We'll go through the monuments. How cool is that going to be? Yeah, I was there. I was covering the Redskins and when they won it in January of 92, and uh, the the, par- the uh, celebration was in the, on the, in the shadow of the Washington Monument, and there were people far as far as you could see. Just uh, it doesn't happen that much. And what you know, people get people around the country. I think get Washington wrong. They think Washington's what they see on TV. Washington's a, a city where people care deeply about sports. And uh, I mean, the scene when the Caps won in the Stanley Cup two years ago outside the arena, all those people. And the, the celebration of Alexander Ovechkin taking the taking the, the Stanley Cup into the fountains at Georgetown and all that, uh, it was pretty good. And and you can build on that. You know, they got a, they got a lot of decisions to make in the off season, but man, was there has there been joy in the nation's capital? Just so happy for this team. 
And to kind of steer this away from baseball, because obviously we know the issues that happened with Brandon Taubman being fired by the Houston Astros, Major League Baseball coming in. They were absolutely livid how this went down after the celebration of the ALCS, that they brought in their own investigators. Taubman gets fired. We haven't heard much since. And obviously, baseball wanted to get back to the World Series. You want what? You want the Nationals to have their time. You want them to have the parade. They're going to go to the White House. What else do you think is going to happen, though, between Major League Baseball and the Houston, Houston Astros? Because they, you know, the word was that you know, they were livid about how this went down. Well, you would hope there'd be some self-reflection. You know, you would hope that the, the president of baseball operations, Jeff Luno, would say, okay, is there a problem with our culture? Is there a problem with the way we treat people? Uh, all of those things that you just have to ask. And I think the way that... You know, there were two crimes here. The first crime was the incident. The second one was the organization's response, which got worse by the hour. You, this would have been no story had they uh, treated it seriously at the beginning. They declined to comment. Then they released a statement that was full, filled with lies. And in a social media age, um, you're going to know. I mean, it wasn't 10 minutes till people were saying, wait a minute, I was there. The way Stephanie Epstein, SI, reported it was exactly the way it happened. And I don't know what you thought you could get away with. Maybe they just took Brandon Tobman's word for it. And the other part of it is you made the manager, A.J. Hinch, go out and be the face of the franchise. That shouldn't happen. Your owner should be talking. Your general manager should be talking. Uh, you shouldn't make him the only conscience in the organization. So um, what, what happens next? Does anybody else get fired? If they fire members of the communications department, I wouldn't, I would not like that because, you know, you are, who does Donald Trump's communications? Donald Trump does. You, you, the, the people at the top are shaping the message that got out. I, it, that's my impression of it. And um, you just have to have a, a conversation like, and try to understand where you screwed it up. Jeff Luno had a news conference in Washington and just said, we were wrong, period. But I hope they've tried to take a step back and say, okay, why were we wrong? What did we do wrong? And how in the world did we go from having a, a member of the front office misbehaving to attacking a member of the media? And they, I mean, I think, I mean, judging what, by what Jeff Luno said, I think he understands some of that. Will baseball uh, do additional punishment? I don't know. You could tell by Commissioner Manfred kept making the point, well, that guy is an employee of the Houston Astros. In other words, you guys have to do the right thing. Yeah, because when Jeffrey Luno said, we all saw that first press release, that basically implicated everybody in the organization. Right, and if you're going to do that, you might want to Google Stephanie Epstein's name. Let's see, what is she? Is she reliable? Ten years at Sports Illustrated, has won awards, has a high visibility, high credibility. So the idea that you would make something up and that you would make something up in which there were multiple eyewitnesses to it. Uh, and, you know, the, you know, there was a reporter from the Houston, two reporters from the Houston Chronicle saw it and just said within an instant, that's not what happened. The way she described it was what we saw. It's, uh, wow. I, I mean, I heard somebody say, Years from now, there are going to be uh, grad school classes on uh, crisis management, and this is going to be a case study in how not to do crisis management. 
Richard, it's always an honor to have you on the program. We really appreciate it, and hopefully we'll see you down at the winter meetings in San Diego. Okay, thanks. Thank you, Richard. They're already doing that, by the way. The professor, Matt Pearl, and the reason why we call Matt Pearl the professor is because he's teaching up at St. Mary's Mary's College. And he's already done this in his classes. It's already happening. I guarantee you, in any type of classes that deal with media, like if I went back to San Jose State radio, television, film, I guarantee you my professors would have already been starting to talk about this. There's a lot to get into there. We got to – Richard Justice is one of the most credible guys in our business, and he said a lot there, baseball-wise and Astros-wise. We'll talk about next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Daniel Moskis from Driveline up in the Pacific Northwest will join us coming up here at 2.45. You know, this this tunneling lately has been fascinating. So basically, they take cameras that are behind the pitcher, and the pitching ninja, Rob Friedman, friend of the program, He, he tweets it all the time. So what that does, it, they show the ball come out of the pitcher's hand. And it looks like it's only one ball. But it really can be however many pitches you throw. And so you see the ball heading towards home plate. And at some point, the pitches start to separate from each other. So it looked like one ball. Now it's like, let's say you have three pitches. Let's say you have a fastball. Slider change. So the ball's coming down the tunnel, heading towards the catcher. And all of a sudden, because of how hard you threw it, what your grip is, gravity, the balls start to separate from each other. And you see where the fastball goes. You see where the slider goes. And then you see where the changeup goes. And they all go somewhere different. But the reason why they talk about tunneling these days is that the ball, when it comes out of the hand, the hitter sees it, but it looks all the same until it gets towards a certain point of the plate, and that's when it separates. And only technology could show you this, these high-speed cameras. And it's fascinating because you're like, how could you hit that guy? It shows you how hard it is to hit in Major League Baseball. We'll get into that with uh, with Daniel Moskis from Driveline. But Richard Justice said a few things there. And, you know, front office people in every single sport, you want to amass the best talent, right? We've lived that for a few years with the Golden State Warriors. They had the best talent. They were the best team. You know, on most nights, Steve Kerr could just roll the basketball out and say, go ahead, boys, and teams in the NBA had no chance against them. They had the best talent. So it wasn't magic. They didn't have magic. 
They had great, unbelievable basketball players. Steph Curry, at some point, will go down as the greatest shooter of all time. Klay Thompson is going to go down as one of the best shooters of all time. Kevin Durant is going to go down as one of the best basketball players and pure scorers of all. I mean, they were loaded. And then you have certain teams that I get that we knew Washington had talent. But when they lost Bryce Harper and they got off to that slow start, you know, I'm not thinking, oh, hey, the Nats. I'm, I'm worried about the Nats. They caught something. And we don't know what it is. It makes me think of the New York football giants. The first Super Bowl with Eli Manning. They were a team that you just... Eh, they're a wild card team. And I remember they went into Tampa against friend of the program, John Gruden. We're going to have to get John Gruden on here. If you don't know, I do the uh, weekly John Gruden TV show. I'm the only guy that gets to talk to Gruden one-on-one every week. Guess what, man? So they go down to Tampa, and it was warm still at that time of the year. And they beat Tampa. Then they had to go to Texas and beat the Cowboys. Then they had to go to Lambeau Field and beat the Green Bay Packers. All on the road. What year was this? God, I'm trying to think what year this was. The the Giants beating the Patriots? Yeah. That was, oh, the first time was 07. Because okay, the Patriots, so the Patriots were not, uh, they were undefeated. They were eighteen and zero, trying to be nineteen and zero. So here you have, you got to beat Tampa, Dallas, Green Bay, to then face the undefeated New England Patriots, and they slayed them all. One of the greatest runs I've ever seen. It's kind of like this Nationals run. It's the first thing I thought about when I thought about really breaking down this run. That's what it reminds me of. It doesn't remind me of, of the Warriors or, like, great Laker teams. This reminds me of they caught something. They got good players. They were, they were underdogs in every single series. They took down two teams that won over 100 games. They're special. There's no question. And it reminds me of that New York Giant run. I mean, think, you got to beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl when he's undefeated with Randy Moss. You had to beat Tampa on the road. You got to beat Dallas. You got to beat Green Bay. And then, oh, my God, you got to face the Patriots? Yeah. I'm not a New York Giants fan, but I'll have respect for that run. That run was incredible. Same thing with the Nationals. They got to take down the Brewers, and they always looked like they were in trouble. They got to take down the Brewers. You got to take down the Braves. You got to take down the Dodgers. And you got to take down the Astros. It's like the same thing. It's like slaying the beast. The Nats did that. So that's one thing I wanted to talk about. The thing about Richard Justice and knowing that, you know, this is, you, you can't 
put a number. There is no analytic. There is no number. Bill James can't come up with this as friend of the program is retiring. Right? He's retiring from the Red Sox? Retiring from the Red Sox. Also, if you want, Moskis has texted me, said he's free now. He's got to have a meeting if you want to do it now or if you want to wait, whatever. And he, I told him about the tunneling. He goes, I have a lot of insight there. So he's Oh, Mr. Tunneling, huh? He's, he's a Pirates legend. He knows everything. If he wasn't a Pirate, would you be booking him? Yes, because he wasn't with the Pirates. That, I mean, he was a first-round draft pick. Well, okay. I mean, could have been one of the just worst check, just Pirates draft picks, but just he's a really nice guy. Okay. No, I still want to do him at 245 because I want to get to the other part. I still want to get to the Houston part. So there's magic in Washington, and there's a dumpster fire in Houston. And that dumpster fire is still raging. It hasn't been put out yet. We'll talk about it right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, here's Chris Townsend. I didn't realize our guy Mark Simon from The Athletic and, uh, God, Sports Solution Info, I believe it is. Sports Info Solutions, I believe Something is what like it is. Something like that. He's projecting the two mats winning the AL Gold Glove at first and third. And he has a third A winning a Gold Glove. Do you know who that might be? And it's not Marcus Simeon. He's going to go with Andrelton Simmons from the Halos. And Simmons, how many games did he play this year? He played 102 games. How can you give Simmons the gold glove when he played 102 and Simeon was phenomenal and he played 162? They actually give it to Robbie Grossman. So we're going to find out on Sunday? Is it Sunday? Yeah, we're going to find out on Sunday. Who's taking home the gold? Is it Simeon or Simmons? Lindor, God, he didn't. How many games did he play in? He missed a ton of time, too. I'll be shocked. Seriously, I will be shocked if Marcus Simeon does not win the gold glove. Shocked. I just went quickly and looked on baseball reference, and I'm a big fan of defensive runs saved. Marcus had five in 162 games. Uh, Angelton Simmons had 14. Now, errors, Marcus had 12. Angelton Simmons had 11, but he played way less games. Way less games. 162 versus 102. But if, if people don't know how the defensive run saves metric works, if you have anything, if you have 10 or more, that's equivalent to a win per game. You know, every 10 is equivalent to a win. So essentially, Angelin Simmons was worth 1.5 wins for his defense, where Marcus was not below average, but he was worth about a little under a win per, you know, for the A's. How many his... uh, wins did uh, the Angels get? Uh, I believe they had 73 this year. Oh, okay. No, no, they lost over 90 games, right? So, yeah, they had less how many, than that. How many wins did the A's have? Uh, the A's had a 97, I believe. Huh. Who played all 162 games? Uh, Marcus Simeon. Whose glove was on the field every game? Marcus Simeon. Thank you. But you know, but before when uh, Simmons was with the Braves, there was no he, one be- there was no one better. He's terrific. I, I get it. But 
No, so you I, see I, where I'm going, right? Yeah, no, I com- I think Mar- for Marcus has done and his turnaround for through the years has been incredible. He missed 60 games. Think about that. That's a lot of games. No, it is, and I mean that's too much. And he had one less error than Marcus, which is if you throw in a couple days off in the month, essentially Simmons missed two months of the season. He missed. He missed. I mean, you're getting to a point where. He missed any more time, he would have missed half the season. Yeah, I was looking. Uh, Angelson had 276 assists. Marcus on the year, because he played way more games, uh, just a cool 436. He actually 458 the year before. So, I'm with you. I think Marcus should get it, and I'm not just saying it because we're doing Ace Cast Live. I think Marcus is the, I, better, I, the better fielder this year. If I was if I was doing Angels Live, oh, make me throw up in my mouth. Halo's Cast Live? Oh! Throwing up in my mouth. Rally Monkey Live. Oh my God. I couldn't do it. What if they called me and said, you know what? We got a great opportunity for you down here in Orange. You and Garrett Cole. We want to bring you down here. We want to give you like a a five year deal. We want you and the commander to launch Rally Monkey Live. What if they told? But what? Hold on, you gotta add the kicker. What if they were like? And I'm and, like, and we'll give you. Have you guys seen my timeline on Twitter, <laughs> where I have the drunken monkey and I say, "Suck it, rally monkey." Where hopefully this, you know, speedy recovery. We love them. But what if they said, "Hey, we'll uh, we'll pair you up with your buddy, good friend San Jose State, oh, greatest friend pitcher of the ever, program. Mark Langson, greatest Spartan to ever live." What if they said that? Or if they said, "Hey, we'll put Gooby on with you." I love Gooby. I could not. I could not do that. What if they? What if they kicked and said, "Nolan Ryan." Nolan Ryan back in Anaheim. You and Nolan Ryan did a radio show. All right, you bring Nolan Ryan in. I'm in. <laughs> can you ma- I can only imagine the takes flying. Oh my god! Can you imagine how that? Well, let me tell you. Did you? Did you I, I really liked the way the ball was coming out of Garrett Cole's hand tonight. It is Nolan Ryan. Though. Yeah. Did you? By the way, did you pay attention to him at all during the World Series? He just sits there he like did, like there's so like exciting things going on all the time. He's just sitting there with his arms. And crossed. his wife Ruth, they don't move. It's just like. We've seen 8 million baseball games in our time, and let me tell you, you know, Reed, Reed's doing a really good job running the Houston Astros. I just don't understand why they sent that press release out. I wouldn't have done that if I was running the club, you know what I'm saying? I, all I can think about is when you when you uh, did the whole thing where you really called his office and she was, and his secretary answered, uh, what was it, Nolan Ryan's office? Mr. Ryan's office. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. <laughs> So I, so I got – it was years ago when Ryan was running the uh, – hell, I don't even know what radio station we were on at the time. Uh, he was running the Rangers until like 2013 because I think he's like an advisor with the Astros again. Because I don't think it was 95-7. We might have been on 860 at the time, which we're on again now. Um, Mr. Ryan will speak to so you. I got, so I went through PR and I'm like – I remember getting the email. Yeah, you can – Nolan Ryan, call him at this point. This is the number. I'm like, oh, man, this could be awesome. Nolan Ryan. And I call up and the secretary, Mr. Ryan's office. Yes, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics. Uh, scheduled to do an interview with, 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 with Nolan. Just a minute. Let me get Nolan. Next thing you know, it is Nolan Ryan. And literally, you're like, wow, it's Nolan Ryan. And he was a wonderful, wonderful guy. I would love, I mean, he's one of those guys like, I'm always scared to meet people that I idolized. Because I've seen so many bad guys in sports that it would crush me that if I went out and I and Nolan Ryan, everybody salt of the earth, right? I mean, Vince Catronio used to live next to him. 
and has great stories. But, like, can you imagine if he went up to Nolan Ryan and he was just a jerk? It would – if George Brett – George Brett and Nolan Ryan were my guys. If I went up to George – I've stayed away. I've had opportunities to meet George Brett, and I've stayed away. Because you never know. You never know if you're getting them in a good mood, you're getting them in a bad mood. Everybody's coming up and talking to these guys. By the way, our text line, 510-897-1322. The power rankings, according to who? Someone sent us this. That the way too early 2020 power rankings, I don't know who put this out. You think it's ESPN? It's Dodgers 1, Astros 2, Yankees 3, Braves 4, Rays 5, Red Sox 6, Oakland Athletics 7, Nationals 8, Mets 9, Cardinals 10. Okay, I disagree for one thing, and not about the Nats being so low. Uh, the Red Sox might lose Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez. How are they ranked ahead of the A's? Well, they haven't lost them yet. True, and what what did the Mets – I'm sorry, uh, did, I'm just, did it, the Mets make the playoffs last here's year? Here's the number one thing I'm taking away from that is that this year we're not that far away from when old Uncle Townie starts buying all his publications and everything, getting ready for the – I don't think you're going to see people under underestimating the A's again this year like they did last year. Like, you go back-to-back years, 97 wins. People know this ball club's legit. They know. And they know it's going to be when you come to Oakland or Oakland comes to your yard, it ain't going to be a day at the beach. But quickly, getting back to the Houston Astros, I will be shocked if nothing goes down other than firing the assistant GM. I will be I, I will be severely disappointed in Major League Baseball. I'm telling you, everybody's talking about this in sports. Like we were talking about it the yesterday at the Raiders facility. Other other teams and other leagues are talking about this debacle. And everybody's using the word karma. I don't know how you can go about your business the way they did and you just go, oh, 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 we fired the guy. We're all good now, right? We're all good. Nothing to see here. I I, I don't know how baseball – how many times have you heard, hey, if this was the NBA, if this was – you know, this would have been done differently. You almost need to make a statement if you're baseball to let everybody know the other 29 teams, don't you ever do this. By by, by doing more discipline against the Astros, making them truly realize the error of their ways, you teach them but you also show everybody else. And I'll tell you, I've been saying this, and I had the conversation. When did I have the conversation with Billy Bean? What day was that? Is that Wednesday? So we were in the offices, and Billy came down the hallway, and I ended up rapping with Billy for about, I don't know, about 10, 12 minutes, and I told him what I had said. I, 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 said, I, I, I said, this would never happen under you. Like, you would not allow this. Like, that would – and Billy said, of course not. Are you kidding me? If one of my guys did that, they'd be gone. And we talked about Susan Slusser. Like, somebody did that to Susan Slusser? My God. 
They'd be, don't let the door hit you in the you-know-what. This would have never happened in Oakland. Like, not even close. And I talked with Billy about it on Wednesday, and he was he backed me up on what I said about him because I've known him forever. The A's don't the A's don't have this kind of stuff. The A's don't have these kind of issues. They're very they're, this is a group that's been with each other a long time. And there's a reason why. You have good people working in this front office. You can you can say anything you want about a talent evaluation. You can say anything you want about drafts free agency what everybody has an opinion but you can never say that the Oakland A's in their front office don't act with class can't say that it's just the way it is that's why that's why people come to the A's to try and get their people cuz they know they they understand how to run a professional outfit there's a reason why so many of these guys have been here for so long. And they're here because they want to be here. Because these guys get offered jobs all the time. Every offseason, there's rumors about someone coming from coming for somebody in the A's front office. But this debacle in Houston would have never happened in Oakland. And if it had, boy, it would have been different. And that's where, when Jeffrey Luno said, we all saw the press release. And you knew what I had to say. I said, you know, the crime's bad, but the cover-up is worse than the crime. And that's where Major League Baseball has to step in. And if they don't, it's a bad look. It really is a bad look. I mean, you're talking slander. They try to, they try to, they try to destroy this woman. I mean, she... I don't want to get too much into it, but she potentially has a lawsuit against the Houston Astros. That was my daughter? If that was my daughter, if Stephanie Abstein was my daughter, this would not be over. I guarantee you that. We'd dip in the old Townsend Law Firm down in San Diego, and we would be uh, they would be hearing from us because that is slander. And you put it out there in a press release in front of everybody. Do we have Daniel? Daniel, how you doing? Chris Townsend here with the Oakland Athletics. How are you in the Pacific Northwest? I'm doing well. How are you? I, I, I'm great. We're heading into the off season, and I'm wondering, with you guys up there at Driveline, is the off season your busiest time? Uh, well, you forgot that there is no off season, <laughs> but, um, but actually, surprisingly enough, summer is our busiest time. Um, now that could be ever-changing. Um, I know that we had, you know, most of our early impact on the, the college uh, scope, but, um, you know, now that we're starting to branch, really branch into Major League Baseball, I think you're going to start seeing this offseason uh, be really busy, but obviously, you know, summer being uh, downtime for college, you have a lot more bandwidth for, for guys to be in here, so that's why that's the busiest, but we are still very busy. Don't think we're just uh, sitting around doing nothing. Well, yeah, you're just not sitting around drinking beers and having oysters up in Seattle, right? No, only on Saturdays when there's football on. <laughs> so I want you to explain to everybody what exactly you guys do at Driveline. Ooh, uh, so we do a lot. Um, you know, that's a that's a very loaded question. 
Um, so we, we do a lot of things. Um, your, your week at driveline, uh, day one starts where you go through a drill explanation, a warm-up explanation, um, and a motion capture assessment, uh, as well as seeing our physical therapist uh, to do uh, a checkup there with him. Um, so that's day one. Uh, day two, we, uh, we do a strength assessment and a movement screening just to see how you move um, and see how strong you are. Um, and you have like a recovery day of throwing. Um, day three, you will have your strength team uh, to go over, you know, what the numbers show, how your strength is relative to your age, size, that whole deal. Um, and you will we'll also do an evaluation of how you move on the table. Um, that, that will also be accompanied with a hybrid B day of throwing um, with uh, some more drill explanation, a little bit more in-depth explanation of the drills. Um, day four will be just a little easy recovery day with some head ball testing. Um, and then day five will be either a, uh, baseline mound session or a baseline pitch design, depending on, you know, the level of athlete, the skill of athlete, and then what his plan is going to be moving forward. Um, and then on that day, we will also have the athlete meeting where we go over his motion capture report. Uh, we break down his videos for him, um, that we capture on day one. Um, and then we will also lay out like what his plan is going to be on the throwing side moving forward, um, you know, to make sure that he gets the most out of his time spent at driveline. You know, I think about you, Daniel Moskis, joining us from driveline, a former big league pitcher. What do you think driveline would have done for you in your career? Oh, it, it would have been a tremendous advantage for me. Um, you know, it's something I, I do think about pretty regularly, just, uh, how it could have impacted my career. Um, there's no way it would have had anything but benefit. Um, you know, I, I had a couple elbow injuries. I would say that my delivery was definitely not on the more efficient side. Um, but even more so than that, um, you know, I needed, I needed to know what my secondary stuff was, what my best secondary weapon was, because that was, that was really like my biggest shortcoming was inconsistent breaking ball. Um, I didn't really know what it was at the time. Um, I didn't find out until I got to driveline. And once I found out what it was, I was able to, make the changes I needed to make it a better version of the pitch. Um, but unfortunately, by the time I found this out, you know, I was a little bit older, maybe a little bit too late. Um, and uh, so it didn't necessarily work out where I, you know, resurrected my career, so to say. Um, but what it did do is just give me the perspective on how I can impact um, other athletes, other pitchers, um, and make sure that they don't go without the resources that I went without. So at San Jose State, I was a very bad pitcher. I was a fastball <laughs> changeup guy. What I really needed was a better slider. So if I came to you and said, all right, this is, this is my strengths, these are my weaknesses, what would you do with me to help me with my breaking ball? Uh, well, the first thing um, that I would need to do is I would need to see what your fastball and changeup look like. I need to see you know, what your arm slot looks like. Um, and you know, what your release height and side are. Um, and from there we would then, you know, get a better feel of how the arm works, what your true natural slot is, um, and how that's going to affect which breaking ball we want to try to give you. Um, because what could possibly happen is that you didn't realize that you have a fastball with a ton of hop, um, and your changeup's pretty good, but actually what you need is a curveball, something with, you know, more drop to it than necessarily a slider. Um, whereas, you know, if we see that your fastball comes from more of a three quarter arm slot and, you know, has a nice balance of vertical and horizontal movement, 
then yeah, maybe the slider makes more sense for you. Um, so we would have to do some, you know, digging some research on our end, um, before we could really make that determination. But if it's a slider that you want, it's a slider that you get. And I could definitely do that as well. Yeah. That's why I find this so fascinating about the ability with, with all this stuff that you guys have to really help remake a player. You have the ability to help them stay healthy with, with just better efficiency and mechanics. And then you can make guys better. And I was talking about earlier in the show, the stuff that we're seeing with these cameras and the tunneling, where you see the ball come out from behind the pitcher, you see the ball come out of his hands. And then all of a sudden at some point as the ball's coming by the tunnel, all of a sudden the pitches start to break off and it's just fascinating what we have in technology. And you also realize, man, it really shows you how hard it is to hit a baseball when it's moving all over the place. Yeah. I think uh, I count my blessings every day that I'm not on the other side of things where I have to find a way to hit the pitches that guys are throwing. Um, it, it really is a, a testament to just, you know, seeing how good baseball has gotten um, with the guys that come through and that we're working with in the lab I mean, because their stuff is ridiculously good, you know, just on as they come in. Their, their foundation is very, very high. Like, there's a lot of very high-skilled throwers. And then we're going to make them better. Um, and so, like, to think that, like, you know, we're seeing them where they're, you know, not necessarily at their best and that they still have room to improve is just crazy. Um, it really is. When did you start seeing the huge spike in velocity? Because now it's just like – Everybody coming out of the bullpen is throwing 97, 98. Um, I mean, I think so. I don't know if I can think of it happening as like an overnight type of thing. Um, in my opinion, it's just kind of been increasingly heading in that direction over time. Um, and so, you know, I know when I first got into pro ball, obviously, um, you know, putting up good numbers mattered. And, um, you know, being able to command the ball mattered probably a little bit more than it does now um and so you got you saw guys you know the guys that could put up good numbers are the guys that got moved up um and that's perfectly fine um you know that i still think that there should be some merit to that um but what in my opinion happened is you know once you were in the door in pro ball uh once your foot's in the door i i think that it didn't matter as much how hard you were throwing you had to get out and so i think the difference now is that the level that you have to be at to even get your foot in the door has been raised so much. Um, you know, we have, we had guys at our pro day in January who averaged 95 and touched 97 with good secondary stuff and didn't even get calls back from scouts. Um, and it's just, it's crazy that that's where the game has gotten to be. Um, it's just to get your foot in the door. Uh, you have to be at that, you know, elite level. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, you talk about helping guys with velocity, but I think like with Steven Strasburg, one of the great things is Steven, Spra Steven Strasburg has emerged from being a thrower to a pitcher. You understand that being a former pitcher. How do you help guys, just not with velocity, but how do you help them go from just being a guy who gets up there and try and throw as, as hard as he can to be a guy who's truly pitching to get outs? Uh, yeah, so I mean that is a very uh, interesting dynamic, um, and something that uh, Strasburg also has going for him is he's got one of the best changeups in all of baseball, um, and so I, I'm sure that that has helped in his development. Um, but the big thing is just having a having a pitcher understand what his arsenal is, what it does, which pitches are his best, and how that should determine usage. Um, so that 
you know, that's kind of the basis of how we would determine, you know, how we want that guy to attack a hitter or, you know, if he's a starter, how he'd want to go through his game plan. Um, but the flip side of that, too, is then understanding what hitters are trying to do. Um, you know, how a hitter's stance determines what his swing is going to look like and how what his swing is determines, you know, which zones are the most preferential to attack him in. Um, and so it is kind of a cat and mouse game because I'll never, I'm never going to want a guy to pitch to his weaknesses just because uh, that's a particular hitter's weakness. You know, I still want to, for my pitchers to err on the side of pitching to their strengths. Um, so it is, you know, a delicate balance there on, you know, that strength versus weakness dynamic. All right. I have a time machine and I can take you back in time. If there's one pitcher that you grew up watching with all the knowledge that you have now and all the technology you have now, if you could go grab a guy back in time and work with him, who would that one guy be? Oh, oh man. Um, I'm going to go Billy Wagner. Really? Yeah. I mean, just so, you know, similar in stature, um, you know, we're not the tallest guys, um, you know, power arm lefty back into the bullpen type mentality. Um, you know, obviously he's a little bit more muscularly built than I am in my current, uh, current state, but um, I would have just loved to have seen like how he moved, um, especially in like a motion capture lab setting, just to see, like what his body was able to do. Cause he was someone who always just really, really impressed me, um, you know, on the, from a physical standpoint. And in an era of a high fastball, cause the way, I mean, he, it seemed like his fastball pretty much stayed on the same plane. And if you were getting the high strike boy, he would be tough to hit. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's tough to hit anyway. So if he's, if he's getting any sort of help from the umpire, then, you know, it's pretty much just a game over. Daniel, always fascinating to have you on. We learn so much. And if there's a young pitcher out there right now who would love to get a hold of you and would like to find out about Driveline, what's the best way to do that? Um, I would say call into our customer service line. Um, we have a phenomenal customer service team. Um, they do a great job, uh, you know, making sure that all of your questions are answered and that if there's something you need to schedule or purchase, or anything of that nature, um, they're going to make sure that you get they get it done for you. Um, so you can look us up on, online, um, you know, at drivelinebaseball.com. Uh, you can find our contact info on there. Um, now's, a, now's a great time to do it. It's Plus Week here. We're offering all sorts of discounts for our Plus members. Um, for those that don't know about it, uh, Driveline Plus is our subscription program that we offer. It's got tons of information, tons of content. Uh, videos, all sorts of good stuff. Um, and the other thing that it gives you is all sorts of discounts on our products. Um, and so it's, I think it's only like $180 a year. Um, so it doesn't break the bank. Um, and I think that there's a ton of benefit from it. Um, so if you want to take advantage of that, there's no better time than the present. Daniel, thank you so much. We appreciate it. We'll be in touch. Awesome. Thank you for having me as always. Daniel Moskis, former big leaguer, now up at driveline. And I'm telling you, I, I wish I could go back in time. I would love to go up there. It would be incredible. Also incredible is when you win a World Series title. Coming up next, we head to our nation's capital to speak to our old friend who we're so happy for, Chip Hale, will join us next right here on A's Cast Live. 
This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Goal for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. He does. So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Can we get a flight to D.C.? Do you know how crazy it's going to be tomorrow in our nation's capital? They're having the parade on a Saturday. And they're going to be going through the monuments and everything, just the way the Capitals did. It's going to be an unbelievable scene. And earlier today, I was able to tape an interview with a guy that this current group of A's and this staff, we all love. He's a wonderful guy, and we are so happy for him. Here is my conversation with now World Series champion Chip Hale. Well, it is an absolute honor to have him back on the program. We're so proud of what the Washington Nationals did because we all know about the former athletics who are a part of that and a big part of that. Chip Hale is with us once again. Chip, I can't say it enough from my heart. Congratulations. We're so happy for you guys. You're getting a ring, and you guys are the world champs. Well, thanks, Chris. It's uh it was a wonderful ride, and and with a with a great group of guys, and, a, and like you said, we had we had a couple uh, a couple of us, a few of us, I guess you should say, uh, ex A's. So uh, you know, obviously, we learned a lot there, and the toughness you get by playing in Oakland, and and uh, that, and obviously, the history we had against the Astros, I think, helped a little bit. You know, I I think about the whole lead up to that game seven. Just a wild ride where. The road team wins every single game. When that final out is finally finally collected and you're running out there with those guys and hugging those guys, what was that moment like for you? Take us through that. Well, it's just surreal. I think from, you know, if you know where we started, you know, with, with the 19 and 31, that's, that's, you know, obviously been publicized a lot. Um, to get, you know, I would tell my wife flying back, uh, looking down at the kind of the, the real beautiful countryside in Virginia where we fly into Dulles. I remember flying, taking that flight from LA after we really were struggling and, and really thinking that this was probably our last, our, as a coaching staff, our last flight together um, to be now a world series champ. So when you're running out there, obviously when we first hug kind of in the dugout with all the coaches and then to, to hug those players and then basically just thank them. I mean, you know, we, we, we do everything we can to prepare them and, and make them ready and knowledgeable and, and anything we can do to help them. But they're the ones going out there and playing. I mean, I mean, how many big hits does Howie Kendrick and Juan Soto and Anthony Rendon get for us? And guys like Patrick Corbin coming out of the bullpen as a starter and throwing three innings in game seven. I mean, we just thank them. I mean, it was, it was an unbelievable ride and the exhaustion kind of hits you at that point because you're so anxiety ridden for, for so long, you know, with the days off in between the, the trips and, it's tough. It's not. It's, it's not an easy go. But um, obviously, the payoff has been beautiful. And I think about your guys's club. And one of the things that I love is that in our game right now, everybody wants to go young. It's about young players. You're a veteran group, and so really are the Houston Astros. 
Just how happy were you for all these guys that have been in this game for a long time? They finally get their World Series ring. No doubt about it. I think it, it was epitomized. I watched um, Kurt Suzuki. We were walking out. I was walking with my wife, walking out of the stadium, and I looked into the um, interview room, and, and Kurt was there with his kids on his lap. And his comment was, I've been waiting 13 years for this. And that was the beauty of it for all those veterans, Cabrera and and Para, uh, Zim, of course, being Mr. Nat. Uh, it was a beautiful thing. So I, I think there's something to that, Chris. I think that it's great to have young talent, and we have it, and we have it in the organization. Everybody has it. But those older guys are so knowledgeable about the game and can make adjustments. And, and just guys like Brian Dozier, who didn't get a whole lot of playing time, he was on point on tipping, you know, because the, 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 the Astros are so good at, at picking up pitches from from pitchers on that they're tipping anything. He was watching watching video constantly to make sure Max and, and Steven and these guys weren't tipping their pitches as much as they had in the past. So it, it's something that you don't find much in young players. Yeah, I, I think about Max Scherzer and what he gave you guys in Game 7 where two days before he couldn't lift his elbow over his shoulder, his wife had to help him get out of bed and put clothes on. Just how, how amazed were you what he was able to give you in Game 7? Yeah, it was funny, Chris, because that day for Game 5, um, obviously it was going to be Cole versus Scherzer, and we were all excited. And we had known there were some issues kind of lingering. And uh, we were told to get to the ballpark early because the president was going to be at the game and Circuit Service was doing all the checking. So... I had, you know, just come early, driven in from our place in Alexandria, Virginia. So I came in, and I was sitting there doing some lineup stuff. And I looked to my right, and I see this guy coming through the clubhouse. And it literally looked like a person who, a football player, who had just gotten into a, a, a helmet-to-helmet collision. I mean, he's, his head was cocked one way, and, I, and so I followed him in the training room. And they basically taped him to a board. And um, I knew right then, I, you know, we all the trainers and the doctors called uh, Davey and we just basically there was no way he was going to he tried everything he could they, they gave him the shots and it, nothing worked so uh I I really tip my cap I tip my cap to our players because we all looked at it and said okay you know we'll give Joe Ross a shot and then we know we got our best going six and our other best hopefully going game seven if this works and we knew with Max if there was any chance he could pitch he was going to pitch yeah, I mean, no one's going to doubt that guy's toughness. And then I think about Game 7, where now we're in an era where managers panic. As soon as guys get on base, next thing you know, the bullpen's going, guys aren't going deep. How much credit do you give Davey Martinez? Your bullpen wasn't going. He was like, Max Scherzer, that's my guy, and I'm sticking with him. And he was he allowed Max to give you those quality innings. Yeah, we, you know, Max gave us five, gave up two, and there was a ton of traffic. Uh, there were stressful innings, and there's certain signs with Max that he's had since this injury uh, bug has kind of hit him midway through the year. It's kind of a upper lat neck issue. So when he starts to pull the ball, we know that thing's acting up, and he was missing away a lot, and he just kept sucking it up and, and leaving those guys on base. I mean, I think he had nine or ten guys left on in those five innings. And so we knew at 100 pitches he was done. And he came in, he goes, I can give you one more. Uh, you can pull me whatever you want. And uh, Davey goes, that's enough. You know, you gave us everything you could. And, and like I said, Patrick Corbin was so big for us to give us those three innings leading up to the night. So, um, yeah, Max, is, <laughs> he's, he's as tough as they come. And then I think about Steven Strasburg. You know, coming out of San Diego State, the number one pick, 
You know, everybody marveled at his fastball. But, boy, has he grown to be more than just a flamethrower. He is now a great pitcher. He's the MVP of the World Series. Uh, watching him grow this year, what was that like from the bench, knowing that he truly is a great pitcher now? Right. I mean, it was incredible. I, I mean, last year, we obviously he's talented, like you said. But he started to learn how to pitch a little more as the season went on last year. And this year was just a complete turnaround. This guy was on the bench when other guys were pitching constantly, you know, talking to Davey, talking to uh, our pitching coaches, and just, just like, hey, you know, we need to pitch in more or for other guys, which was incredible to see him, you know, put the, you know, that information for the, some of these younger guys and look at video with them um, and go over stuff. He just really became um, really into the team and, and, and became, you know, the ultimate guy that, that could lead a staff like Max. So if you have two leaders like that, it was a really incredible thing to watch. So I think about how great D.C. is. I think about how historic it is to have a parade for winning a world championship. And then I think about you guys are having it on Saturday. You're having it tomorrow. That's going to be absolutely wild. Yeah, we hope. I mean, I know that the Capitals had theirs um, after their championship, and it was it was a blast. So um, our guys are really looking forward to it. I mean, you know, it's how long the season is. It's uh, obviously – what people don't know is a lot of our players, you know, obviously we rent places here. <laughs> so we're either in hotels or we're, we're paying extra for another couple of days or, you know, a week of, of rent. So uh, no one was going to miss this thing. It, was, it wasn't like people came home, got their stuff and left. They're excited about this. Um, and, you know, the, these are things that it, the people here in D.C., I think that 42 or 43,000 at the stadium watching the game in, in Houston, I, you know, we wished – Trust me, we wish we could have won um, a couple games at home and, and finished it off at home. But like you said, it was a strange series and how the visiting teams just seemed to, to have the uh, momentum all the time. Yeah, I mean, when you just look at the numbers, how you outscored them in Houston and how they outscored you in your ballpark. Uh, Chip, this has never happened before. We've never seen it in hockey. We've never seen it in the NBA. Uh, we never see it in Major League Baseball where the road team wins every game of a seven-game series I mean, when you're plotting this all together, I mean, that had to be pretty frustrating, right? It was. It was. I know for them it was, obviously, the four at their place, but the three here were really frustrating, especially because most of us had flown all of our families out to D.C. and had one of this great experience, and we just could never get off the, sh the snot. I mean, it was like, it, it, you know, they would get ahead a little bit. We'd have a chance. It was almost the same deal. Like, we would leave guys on, leave guys on, they'd do the same thing over in Houston, so funky funky series that way you know one of the things I, I was talking to the other coaches about when you're the home team in these things the MLB sets all the times so you basically get done with your batting practice two hours before the game starts so you sit around and like I said the anxiety starts to creep in and you just don't know what to do you're used to about an hour maybe an hour and 10 minutes before you go back out in the field so maybe that has something to do with it being the visiting team you were you, you hit you got changed got something to eat and went out and played I'm glad you said that because we've been trying to figure out why this happened, and that kind of makes sense. I mean, they kind of – so basically you take BP and then you get put on ice for a couple hours. Right, exactly, especially, um, you know, when they have all the announcements. It's even longer. So um, maybe there's something to that. I doubt it because I, I don't think that's changed much over the years. Um, there's so much There's so much media out there. It's, it's unbelievable, Chris. I mean, it's <laughs> – it's, it's, those are one of the things at home I think you get hit by it even more. So from the time the final out to where you are now, how many text messages have you received from friends and family? 
<laughs> it was in the 200s. It was in the 200s. You know, obviously when we got into the playoffs, I got a bunch. When we beat the Dodgers, it was a, it was a, it was a pretty big deal. But this one um, was way up there, and it took a while to answer him. I'll tell you that. Well, congratulations. You know we were all rooting for you guys, how much Kurt Suzuki means to us, Sean Sean Doolittle, yourself. And we even got to know Fernando Rodney for a little bit this year. Just soak it all in. You've been in this game for a long time. You're one of the best, and we we, we know how much Bob Melvin feels about you. Uh, Truly enjoy this championship because you guys earned it. It was special, and we'll talk to you soon in the offseason. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. Chip Hale. You know, that's that's one of the things that happens as a baseball fan, as someone who works in baseball. You root for people. You root for people you know. And we're rooting for Chip Hale. I really do hope that he gets another shot at managing. He's very bright. And I think a second time around, you know, you got to be put in a position to succeed. It's like Bo Porter, who we've had on a few times, who works around the Nats, former Astros manager, but he was the Astros manager when Jeffrey Luno was not trying to win. They would, they, they, they. I mean, they told us. Oh no, we're, we're, we're. we're We're taking this thing down to the studs. It's a rebuild of rebuilds. Well, how tough is that when you're the manager and you know the team? Everybody knows. Is there there any secret when you're in a rebuild? Like, Like, did the Orioles players this year think the front office really wants them to succeed? Does the Detroit Tigers, when you're wearing the uh, the cursive D and those beautiful white uniforms with that great history, it was pretty cool walking around the ballpark in Detroit, Comerica Park. There's so it just oozes. I mean, the park's relatively new, but everywhere you go, it just oozes history because they have so much history. It was really cool. But do you think those players think they want to win? Can you imagine looking up and you know where the GM box is and you're going, these these guys. The Detroit Tigers this year, think about this. We're 53 and a half games back in the Minnesota Twins. I can't make that up. I didn't even know that. Commander, you just looked at They were 53 and a half games out of first place. Well, because remember, we were talking for a while that we thought this team could rival the 03 Tigers for being the worst team of all time. And they came pretty close. But they, that, that's not the most losses of all time, though. Uh, I thought it was. I think the, aren't the most losses like 120 or 121? Uh, it might have been the uh, Philadelphia A's that had the worst, the most losses. But, uh, but they didn't play that many games back then. But they had, what, what 119 was, they lost? Yeah, it was 43 and 119 when they did it. They finished 53 and a half games out of first place. They only had 47 wins. You finished more games out of first place than you had wins. That should never happen. I, um, I, I You know what we should do? We should send like uh, we should find somebody that ships beer and some type of local brewery beer around here in the Bay Area and and send their pre and post game show guy a, a twelve pack and say hey, rough year, bro. 
Can you imagine? Can you imagine doing the pre and post game show for a team that lost 114 games? What do you say? I mean, how do you build this thing up? I mean, the season's over, game one. So the the modern-day record, the AL record, is the Tigers with 119. The 1962 Mets lost 120 yep, games. See, I knew it. I knew there was someone who lost more games. Uh, and then the uh, – this is taking wow, you back a little look, bit. Hey, look at that year, 40 and 120. This is taking you back a little bit, but um, – the 1899 Cleveland Spiders won 100. They won 20 and 134, a winning percentage of 13, one one three zero. So it's not good. The old the old, <laughs> the old Cleveland Spiders know the team well. That was a good ball club. Well, they turned it around there. The Cleveland Spiders. What what were their unis? Uh, let's see. Let's pull up the Cleveland Spiders of the National League. Oh, but they wouldn't be cool. You know, everybody just wore just regular Cleveland around the chest. Their, by the way, their best season ever was in 1892, and they finished 93 and 56. They flash forward year. seven years, and they lost 130. Good year. Games. How about the air? So, what Chip Hale, so he goes to Arizona in 2015 and 16. Was that, uh, was that Dave Stewart's time there at the GM? Yes, and LaRusso. And Tony LaRusso. Yeah, that, that didn't work out well. The first year they went seventy three and eighty seventy nine and eighty three. So, yeah, respectable. I mean, you're under five hundred. And then in twenty sixteen, they went sixty nine and ninety three. And then I think the next year they yeah, they won the uh, they they won the, they came in second in the NL West. They went ninety three and sixty nine. That was under uh Tori Lavallo, who's still there. I remember Dave Stewart goes, I built that team. <laughs> then 2018, they won 82 and 80, and then this past year they won 85 games. So after they traded Granky, when everyone's like, "Oh yeah, they're tanking," hey, Man, no, they're actually better when they traded him away. Good luck to anybody in the NL West. Good luck to you, because you're not beating the Dodgers unless the Dodgers have some major injuries. You're going to have to have the ultimate magic year to take them down in the NL West. Was it seven straight years they've won? That's correct. The Buffalo Bills. Almost. Almost the Buffalo Bills of the... They're like the Atlanta Braves, but they haven't got that one title yet. As the Braves won their division 14 straight years. That's the kind of run these guys are going to be on. They're bringing up Lux. They're bringing all these... they They got young talent coming. They've got young, cheap talent coming. So that's why you can go out and get a guy like... Garrett Cole, if you're the Dodgers, because you're not you, you got a bunch of guys right now. I mean, at some point you're going to have to pay Bellinger, but I mean, you got a bunch of guys that are cheap. Well, plus they might lose Gavin Lux because I uh, remember the rumor the other day they might try to trade for Francisco Lindor. So if you trade for Lindor and you put him on that team, he's what twenty well, five. You, <laughs> you're gonna have to pay Lindor coming up here. That's okay. They'll. I mean, they'll figure. I mean, they got money. The thing with them is they don't do is they don't. The thing they always do is they either trade for rental players or they find these guys like Chris Taylor or Kiki Hernandez who are Kiki. undervalued players. So them actually going out making a huge blockbuster trade like this where a guy's under control for a couple more years. Well, they had to spend a little money on Hernandez. He was a he's Cuban, right? Uh, I thought that they they might have discovered him. Let me look him up. But like Chris Taylor was a guy that the uh, the Mariners just cast off. Yeah. Well, one of many guys the Mariners have and cast then, off, and then just started hitting bombs. Justin hey, Turner's another one. Get, yeah, get your launch angle. Yeah, tur- what did Turner hit with the Mets, and now all of a sudden he's an all-star third baseman? But 
I mean, what what do you do if you're, I don't know, the Rockies? What do you do if you're the Padres? You just keep going to. Well, hey, you know what they always say about the Padres? They got the best farm system in baseball. Yeah, I mean, that's that, that, that. I haven't seen one of those guys come up yet. Ask Billy Bean about that. Oh, that's great. You got the best farm system of it. Can you win at the big league level? Can you build a roster that wins at the big league level? It's great. Accumulate all the talent you want in the minor leagues. Does it ever transfer into winning at the big league level? Can you build a roster? And really more than a roster. Can you build a 40-man roster that allows you to compete day in and day out in Major League Baseball? Uh, Kike Hernandez came over. He was originally drafted by the Astros. So he's not? Is he? No, he's from Puerto Rico. Oh. I was wrong on that. But it's okay. So he played for the Astros. So clearly a team that's really good at player development found him, although they did let Jordan Alvarez go because they thought they were trading away another Alvarez. It was the Dodgers better. Did. The Dodgers, yeah. yeah. They made a little gaffe. But when you start thinking about trying to compete, I mean – if you're not going to go out and, and, and I mean, and, but you know what though, the Padres have gone out and spent money. They spent money on Machado. They spent money on, on a Hosmer, which I still think was a horrible deal. How are they going to compete? How are the Giants going to compete? Like the Giants, like officially, do not want to tell you that they're going into rebuild mode. Oh my God, who's who's the rumor that? They're going to interview now the field coordinator of the Dodgers for the manager's yeah, Clayton job? Ma- Clayton McCullough, because he has ties to Farhan, obviously. But there's another guy he has ties Wait, what's to. His, what, what's his field coordinator? Yeah, field coordinator. What the, what the hell is a field uh, coordinator? I don't know. Just like what was Jace Tingler's role with the Rangers? Game day operations coordinator. I don't know. He had some weird title. Now he's the manager of the Padres. My thought with that with the Giants, with McCullough, is – you bring him in to be a coach or something, and you know he has a nice title maybe in the front office to work under Gabe Kapler, who those three guys all work together. Kapler's with the not getting hired. Come on, Clayton McCullough, Dodgers field coordinator. I wonder how old he is. Has emerged as a candidate. I, I want to know though, what the heck is a field coordinator? Find me out. I want Dodgers McCall. Wait, here's everybody. All, all the reports are just that he's going to interview for the job. What do you do as a field coordinator? In his okay, this is a report. This is so Rocco Baldelli was a field coordinator under uh, Kevin Cash in Tampa. He did it for one year, essentially. And what got is hi- it? And then he got hired by the Twins. So this is what the what I thought. In his role as a major league as a major league field coordinator, Baldelli will assist Cash and bench coach Charlie Montoyo during the game and will continue to work with. The outfielders. That's all it says. Wait, what did he do? So, essentially, he works with – oh, here it is. A significant part of Rocco Baldelli's job as a major league field coordinator will be making sure that he successfully implements these ideas. So, th- it's working through the ideas that the Rays have. So, McCullough is just essentially working, making sure players are bu- kind of like buying in. This is what it sounds like. He's the buy-in guy? So, he's work- working with – he's essentially working with Cash and, Ma- and the bench coach, which the bench coach in L.A. is – Bob Guerin. A lot of Dodgers Not ties. Not friend of the program. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of Dodgers ties coming, maybe coming back to the band. Wow. Area. I wish I could talk to Giants fans about this. Hey, Giant fans. 
You guys all love to hate on the Dodgers, and you love it when the Dodgers don't win, but yet it's Dodger blue. You're turning into Dodger blue, Giant fans. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to rip my buddies who are Giant fans. You hate the Dodgers. You love that they don't win the World Series, and you love to taunt them with your three World Series, but now your team is becoming the Dodgers. It's, you're, you're using the Dodger way. That is hilarious. I'm so I'm so looking to see if I can find out exactly what a field coordinator does. He's the buy-in guy. So we got the opener, we got the bolt guy, and we got the buy-in guy. Yeah, I'm still looking because if the Rays are doing, if the Rays did this, and they have a lot of guys get hired because their bench coach got hired to manage the the Blue Jays, Baldelli's managing the Twins. Like they they pluck from the Rays. Uh, our guy Hein Bloom is now the chief. Baseball officer of the Red Sox. Well, uh, who's our buy-in guy, Jay Money, in, in for the uh, for the Rays? Oh yeah, uh, I I knew his name all year. Now it escapes. Escapes me. me. Yeah, yeah, the guy that's in the Jonathan dugout. Ehrlichman. Jonathan Ehrlichman is a guy that's in uniform, who's an analytics guy, and he's got all the numbers and everything in front of him there in the dugout for the players, and they call him Jay Money, and I couldn't believe it. They all love him, but Jay Money. He's look, actually now you, – you've got to consider him a coach. He spent the past two seasons before this as the team's director of analytics before he became the guy in position. Coming and, up next, our buddy Ben Ross from NBC Sports California will join us right here. Talk a little A's baseball on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, friend of the program, and you can read him at NBCSports.com. Of course, covering the athletics, the great Ben Ross is with us here. And we're finding out, Ben, that not only are you a terrific writer covering the athletics, you're a play-by-play guy extraordinaire. Yeah. Hey, man, I'm a utility player. I got to <laughs> fill whatever role I can. Yeah, you're like the Chad Pender or Mark Canna right now in the Bay exactly. Area. So tell everybody. Yep, I do a little bit of everything. Tell everybody what what, what you're doing. You're going to be doing some field hockey uh, at at Stanford. Yeah, Stanford field hockey today, taking on UC Davis at six o'clock tonight. I do some uh, freelance play by play for Stanford as well as uh, Santa Clara, Pacific, a lot of schools here in the Bay Area. So looking forward to it tonight. So what'd you make of that World Series? Man, what a crazy series. I mean, just the fact that the road team won every game, uh, especially when you've got a team like Houston, who's been unbelievable at home this year. I mean, that was the, that was the first time all year they lost four straight home games. The only other time they lost three in a row was that A's series, you know, when the A's lost game one, 15 to nothing, and then came back to win the next three. So, uh, incredible. I mean, Washington, you look at what the Nationals did, not just in the World Series, but the entire postseason, facing elimination a handful of times behind late in those games. And uh, it's incredible how, how many times they were able to overcome those deficits. You know, the one thing that you can't put analytics on, the one thing that you can't put technology on is magic. And when you have that magic, you are so tough to beat, and the Houston Astros found that out as, you know, basically since, what, May 24th, no team was better than the Washington Nationals. They have the best record since then, and they just had this 
baby shark, whatever the heck you want to call it, <laughs> they, they they had this magic that you couldn't take them down. They really did. I mean, I, I am sort of a believer in, in the team of destiny sort of thing. And, and I don't want to take anything away from the Nationals either, because as you mentioned, you know, since May or late May, they were the best team in baseball. So it's not like this was a Cinderella story. I mean, this is a, a really good team with phenomenal pitching uh, and some really good hitters too. But I definitely do also believe in the, in the team of destiny thing. I mean, just even going back to their wild card game, against the Brewers, they were down in the eighth inning of that game against Josh Hader, one of the most dominant pitchers in the game. They rallied back to win that one, and kind of the same thing against the Dodgers the next round, and it's incredible how that team just found ways to win each round. So looking at the Oakland Athletics, as we now officially head to the offseason, and, you know, an article has come out in The Athletic, and what's their biggest need? Oh, their biggest need's the bullpen. Ah, that's too easy, right? I mean, everybody needs bullpen help. Let's get away from the bullpen. What do you think, other than the bullpen, is the biggest need for the Athletics in this offseason? You know, that's a great question because, I, quite frankly, I don't think they have a ton of needs. I mean, I, I love the way that the starting rotation is shaping up. We've already talked about that with – you know, Jesus Lazardo and A.J. Puck now going to have a full season, uh, along with Frankie Montas coming back. Sean Manaya also a full season. Mike Fires is back. Chris Bassett as well. I mean, they've got some really good starting pitching for the – this is the, the best rotation I think they're going to have uh, in recent memory, really. So I, I love the way that the rotation looks. And then as far as the lineup, you know, they bring back just about everybody – Maybe the, the one thing that they could afford to add is a, a little bit of depth uh, in, in the lineup and, and coming off the bench. Um, you know, second base is still a question mark. I'm not convinced that uh, the A's will bring Jerickson Profar back. He's eligible for arbitration, expected to make close to $6 million next year. And, you know, they do have other options there with, with some of the young guys like a Jorge Mateo or a Sheldon Noisy, who we saw some of, or a Franklin Barreto. Um, but you know, for the most part, I think this team looks really solid already heading into next year. And I'm sure Billy Bean and David Forrest have, you know, spent the, their, the off season already sort of addressing what they think that the team needs to improve on. But I think they're in a great spot. Yeah. If you could find somebody who can hit at second base, you're really looking at possibly the best infield in all of baseball. So let's focus on that right there. You mentioned a couple names. Noisy came up. Uh, he got some time. Franklin Barreto had a great spring. They sent him back down. He never recovered after that. Jerickson Profar purely has the yips when throwing the baseball. He has the ability to go deep, but he's not a consistent contact guy. Uh, and he's really, for the most part, you see him a dead pull guy. You know, what do you do if, if, if you're running this franchise, what, heading into spring training, what would you like to see if you're running the ball club at second base? Boy, it's, it's a tough call, and it's probably a good thing I'm not running the franchise just because that is such a, a tough decision. I, personally, you know, I love Jerickson Profar uh, as, as a guy, as a human. He's, he's a great guy, and as you said, he does – he's got talent, and he has that – pop in his bat I just I don't think he's consistent enough on either side of the ball uh, to, to pay him that close to six million dollars he's expected to get so 
if it were me personally, I move on and give uh, give a guy like Jorge Mateo a shot in spring training or a Franklin Barreto or a Sheldon Noisy. Uh, just kind of see who goes out there and earns the job. You know, you could also maybe look at, look around at what's available uh, in free agency, see if you want to go in that direction. But I, I do think that, you know, Mateo had a really good year uh, in AAA last season, and I, I'm kind of excited to see what he can do. I mean, his speed is off the charts. He might be the, the fastest guy in the minors. And uh, and then Sheldon Noisy, we saw what he did in, in both in AAA and in the majors. You know, he didn't hit for a ton of power with the A's, but that's certainly a big part of his game. And I was impressed by how quickly he picked up second base. I mean, this is this is a third baseman by trade, and he didn't get a ton of time at second base last year, but kind of looked like a natural. Uh, he's got great hands over there. Not not the best range in the world, but. Uh, you know, almost like we talked about Jed Lowry when he was with the A's. Anything he could get to, he would make the play. Very sure-handed uh, second baseman. So I kind of like some of the young options they've got. If it were me, I think I kind of have an open competition during spring training, and, and whoever goes out there and plays the best earns the job. You know, the tough thing about Franklin Barreto is when, when you got a guy and you tout him as, oh, he's a great prospect, he's, he's the reason we pulled the trigger on the Josh Donaldson trade, I mean, at some point, you got to give him a shot or you got to move him. And I, 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 I kind of think we're at that, at that spot with him. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree. Uh, you know, I think, unfortunately, I feel like he kind of got a shot last year. I mean, I, I know it wasn't a ton of playing time, but you, you kind of remember middle of the season last year, they, they brought him up and they kind of decided they were going to make him the everyday second baseman. This was when Jerickson Profar was really struggling uh, and Barreto didn't really take advantage of his opportunity. He sort of regressed at the plate, you know, those strikeout problems uh, really coming back into the forefront again, where he, he's just unable to lay off that pitch outside low and away. Uh, I, I understand that Barreto is still young, but you know clearly his value has gone way down. I don't know how much you could get for him now in a trade. So I, I certainly think he'll get another opportunity with the A's just because of how young and, and talented he is. The potential is still there. He's obviously got a lot to work on. Um, but I, I'm kind of with you. I think at, at a certain point you've got to make the decision one way or another. You know, Is this guy going to play or are you going to move him? And so I think he will get another shot, at least in spring training and maybe early on in the year. But he's definitely fallen, uh, I think, way down on the depth chart to me. He's now behind a Sheldon Noisy and, and probably even a Jorge Mateo. So he's got to prove that uh, he belongs. One guy to me that hit this spring will be very interesting for him is Chris Bassett. He's out of options. So if he doesn't make the big club, somebody's going to snag him. There's no question. And was definitely clutch for the A's when, at the end of the year, he went to Bob Melvin and said, hey, if you need me out of the pen, I'm your guy. But I like his arm. I think he's a legit major league starter. And I'm not so sure about, you know, Puck and Lazardo. I think they're still going to baby them. These are two guys that are not going to get 30 starts. So how important is it? that the A's make sure somehow, some way, Chris Bassett is on that roster when they open up the season? 
Oh, I'd be stunned if he wasn't. Um, I, I kind of agree with everything you just said. I mean, I, I've been really impressed by Chris Bassett, both on and off the field. And I, I'd be stunned if he's not with the A's, just for the reasons that you stated. I mean, yeah, they, they, uh, we kind of talked about the A's starting pitching and, and some of the great young, young arms they have. But, you know, we've seen this before. You don't go into a season with five starting pitchers and they all stay healthy and make 30 starts. You're going to need a Chris Bassett in that starting rotation, whether someone gets hurt, whether, as you said, they want to maybe baby uh, Lazardo and or Puck a little bit. So I, I see Bassett in the rotation for a lot of the year. It is nice that he has that versatility where he can come out of the pen as well uh, if you do have five other options in the rotation. So I think Chris Bassett, one way or another, I see him being a huge part of the team next year. And I still think there's been two wild card games. The A's have lost back to back, and I was, I was all for the strategy in New York. Was saying, hey, we're going with a ton of power arms. I was good with the strategy starting Sean Manaya, but of course, this is basically talk. Uh, it's a talk show, so we we, we get to play hindsight's <laughs> 2020. Um, it's it's still hard to believe you've had two wild card games, and the most consistent guy you got, Mike Fires, hasn't appeared in either. It's it's definitely tough, and I you know I can't fault Bob Melvin especially this year. I think he made the right call. I know that Manaya didn't have a good game, but when you look at how consistent he was and how effective he was in the month of September, I have a hard time faulting Melvin for going with really the hot hand and probably your best pitcher. Uh, but it is tough if you're Mike Fires, you're sitting there saying, "What do I have to do to get an opportunity?" Because he did have. Uh, you know, a, a great year this year. I think what ended up hurting him it, or hurting his case to make that wild card start this season was he had a rough September. Um, I think his ERA was around eight in the month of September. And so he kind of stumbled to the finish line a little bit. He had that injury scare with some numbness in his right hand. So, you know, again, I, I can't fault Melvin. I think he made the right call and uh, you go down with your hottest pitcher, but yeah, certainly. We'll, we'll see what happens if they get there again. I mean, the one thing I, I will say is if the A's do end up in another winner-take-all situation, I think now you've got a guy in Jesus Lazardo. I know he's young, but we saw the type of dominant stuff he has. To me, he's the true ace that, that this team has been waiting for for a long time. And so from now on, to me, I think he's the guy uh, if you find yourself in that scenario again. You know, for the first time in a long time, we'll end on this. It's not really what we're watching the A's do in the offseason because we really know who they are. It's going to be watching the other teams in the division. What are they going to do? And what are they going to look like? If Garrett Cole leaves the Astros, that is a big hole in their rotation. That, that takes them from three guys to two guys, and they're searching for three spots in the rotation. If Cole ends up in Anaheim, where a lot of people – I mean, that's kind of the thing I'm looking at this offseason. It's not really what the A's are doing. I know who they are. Don't you think it's like looking, okay, what are, what are the Astros, what are the, what, what are the Halos, and what are the Rangers going to do this offseason? Yeah, I completely agree. As you said, you know, we kind of know who the A's are going to bring back. We know that they've got a really solid roster. It's going to be interesting. I mean, Garrett Cole is, is obviously the hot commodity this year. You know, last year it was Bryce Harper and Manny Machado were the two big names out there. Garrett Cole has shown that he's arguably the best pitcher on the planet right now. So, uh, yeah, you know, the Astros are, are still going to be stacked. But it, as you mentioned, it looks like they will lose him. 
which will be a, a huge blow. The other thing I'm interested to see with the Astros is, you know, we talk about Justin Verlander and, and how it seems like the aging process just doesn't really affect him. But sooner or later, you think you got to think he's maybe going to lose a little something. Uh, he didn't have the greatest postseason this year. kind of showed that maybe he is human after all. So I'm kind of curious to see if, if he kind of takes a step back. Um, but, of course, the Astros, as far as their lineup goes, they're, they're still going to be stacked, and they have a lot of young talent. But I think, you know, with Cole probably leaving, and if Verlander does take a step back, maybe there is an opening for the A's with their starting rotation and with their lineup getting a year older and a year better uh, to challenge for the division. So tonight when you're calling the play-by-play, do you have, like, a special goal call? <laughs> yeah, this is actually the first uh, field hockey game I've called. So I, I'm going to have to think of one in the next five or in the next few hours here. Uh, I, nothing, nothing set in stone. She scores, she scores, she scores. You, you got to come up with something. I, I like it. Yeah. No, I mean, I, you got to go big, right? I mean, field hockey, uh, there's not like regular hockey, not a ton of scoring. So, you know, I was just calling water polo over the weekend at oh. Stanford. A lot more goals in that sport, so I, I felt like I couldn't get too excited. I mean, I think that game ended up being 13-12. to 12. was an exciting game, but, yeah, field hockey, uh, for the few goals that I, I hope to see, I'm going to have to come up with something. All right, buddy. Enjoy. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Ben Ross, play-by-play extraordinaire. All right, you ready for a little uh, buying or selling to end the week? It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. You know, one of my favorite moments last night at our Halloween party is when your girlfriend was talking to the young child. Uh, Your girlfriend had a Jack Daniels shirt on and your dog had a Coke. That's correct. Confirmed. So they were Jack and Coke as a combo. And when the young girl started talking to uh, your girlfriend about uh, Jack Daniels, that was a special moment. It was. I don't. I didn't even know what was going on at that point. And then she's explaining something. I'm like, you understand you're explaining Jack, Jack Daniels to a girl that's um, not even probably 18 yet? Oh, no. She was She was far below 18. Yeah. So uh, great parenting there, Dina. Great parenting. Yeah. Good job, Dina. That was uh... – so what did I what did I tell you yesterday? I'm gonna try to every day when you're buying or selling work Garrett Cole into buying or selling. Oh god. So Garrett Cole, Mr. 300 million, took to Twitter yesterday to say thanks. Garrett Cole thanked the fans of the Houston Astros. I'm gonna read his everything he said. Last night was a tough one for us, and the heartbreak hasn't gotten any easier. Before I became an Astro, I didn't know didn't know much about Houston, but after just two years, you've made it feel like home. So here's what I know. Now, you have been overwhelmingly friendly, welcoming, and kind to my family and me. The Astros organization has been such a pleasure to play for. The Cranes are indeed special people and great owners. I've met lifelong friends on the team and in the community and learned a lot about pitching along the way. And he used some weird emoji. But this is a special, this is a relationship between a team and its fans like none other that I know. I take that to heart, Garrett. Thank you. Thank you for making us better people and better players. This was a great season. We have a lot to be proud of. And it's two years with the Astros. Garrett Cole made 65 starts, had a 268 ERA, a .96 whip, over 412 and two-thirds innings, striking out 37% of the batters he faced. 
but quite simply, buying or selling Garrett Cole like playing in Houston? Uh, I'm going to sell that. I think he's ready to get out of Dodge. No, I mean, how would you not like playing in Houston? I mean, let's be honest. Uh, they won a lot of games with him there. And winning doesn't suck. No, and coming from the, uh, as everyone calls it, the Midwest to going to uh, Texas, it's a big change for him. So um, I, I'm interested to see where he goes. And I'm sure we'll have more Garrett, Garrett Cole analysis. I think week. every day we're going to have it, you said. Yeah, we are. It'll be like when Chris Rose said that they, every day they talked about Bryce Harper, what the difference spin to it. Well, the, the thing for us is how it how is it going to – how is it going to affect us? Is he staying in the West? Like, if he goes to the Angels, it affects us. If he stays with Houston, it affects us. If he goes to New York, meh, a little bit. If he goes to the National League, anywhere in the National League, that's winner, winner, chicken dinner right there. Yeah. I mean, that's ideally. Like, it's going to be like, oh, you want to you wanna go play for the Dodgers? Great. You want to go play for the Padres? Outstanding. Have or, a fun time. Or as Mike Farron told us, Maybe the Giants. He brought up the Giants. I was a little shocked by that, but also not so shocked because Mama Cole, Brandon Crawford's sister, is from Pleasanton. Yeah, so maybe she wants to come home. Interesting. It'll be nice. It, personally, me, I like watching him pitch, and I—I I mean, obviously, I have because he means a little more to me than a lot of people because watching him grow up. But it'd be cool to have him here. But hopefully, it's in the National League. Well, I mean, if he goes to the Giants, how does it affect us? Well, probably see him one time a year. Yep. Well, twice they played the one. Don't that we usually play? Well, the last last you know, year was it was split two games here, two games. In yeah, San you don't. You know, usually, I, I, yeah, you're watching. So. I don't know what the. I can look at. I can look at the uh, schedule, but yeah, I mean, maybe maybe you don't even face them at all. So we know free agency is supposed to be a fun time. We know the big names probably aren't. You know, they don't always come to Oakland, but sometimes under the radar moves are the best ones. As I mentioned before, the A's need a top reliever, and I mentioned the name Dylan Batonsis before of the Yankees, who's coming off an injury. But what about Daniel Hudson of the Nats? Hudson went nine and three this year with a two four seven ERA with the Jays and Nats with eight saves, and he closed out the World Series. It was a really safe situation, but he was still on the mound. Hudson will be thirty three years old when the season starts next year. Buying or selling Daniel Hudson should be the A's top priority in free agency. Selling. How old is he? Uh, thirty three. Well, he will be thirty three. Don't we already have some thirty something relievers on the? Joaquin Soria's and Yasmir Petit are both uh, up there in age. Okay, so speaking of free agency, remember back when it used to be used to be all the hype. Hey, it depends on the price. Yeah, what we'll is the what, price? We'll see what he wants. Okay, I'm looking right now. In June, we got the Giants for a two-game set with another Friday off day, which uh. is bizarre. So, and then yeah, there's only four games against the Giants. So if, and they both come before the All Star break. So there's a chance. Let's say Garrett Cole does go to San Francisco. You don't even see him. So how about how about that trip? We 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 go to over to Oracle, do our do a cast live from Oracle, get on a plane, go to Seattle, and go see our guys at Driveline because they play, we played the Mariners before the uh, All Star break again. Yeah, I'll be at a beach house. Well, I'm, we can I'm go on a Thursday. <laughs> Actually, we may. I, I can make a weekend. I love Seattle. I can make a weekend out of it. We might be changing the date of the beach house, so we may actually be. Uh, why don't we go down to the All Star game? It's in uh, LA. LA. That's true. Yeah. That's actually a good point. Do A's cast live from the All-Star have, game? We have to talk to the Professor about that one. All right. Well, I was going to do the how free agency is dead, but we'll save that one. So the Golden State Warriors. Oh. oh they struggled wow. a little bit this year. 
Uh, they haven't won a game at home yet at the brand-new Chase Center over there in uh, China Basin in San Francisco. Buying or selling, I miss doing Warriors pre- and post-game. Uh, selling. Clay Thompson's out for probably the year. KD's gone. Kavon Looney's hurt. And now Steph Curry is going to miss three months with a broken hand. So it's around like 45 games or so. The Warriors are 1-3 right now. And according to 538 and our good friends over there, they've got a 25% chance to make the playoffs. And they have a projected finish with a losing record, which these new Warrior fans don't know what that is. Um, can you imagine spending all of that money on seat licenses and then season tickets, and it's big money? I know a guy that wrote like a $300,000 check. Wow. That's just for the seat licenses. It wasn't for the tickets. Uh, you having fun watching this? So what would the record, you know, we all got to wonder, what's the Warriors record going to be when Steph returns? Now, how is this tie into baseball? Well, it ties into baseball because the Warriors could have a top, you know, they've kind of a top pick that's protected. And we've seen the Sixers, the Astros, the Cubs, and if you want to name a hockey team that's done it, I guess we can say the Oilers, but they've been tanking for 20 years and they've had one winning season. So The Oil. So buying or selling, the Golden State Warriors should tank this season. That's how the Spurs got Tim Duncan. That's true. 96, they tanked. Got, got, got uh, Tim Duncan. Got Duncan, and they won on that run for 20. They missed the playoffs in like 21 years. Well, we really can't talk basketball because basketball tells us it doesn't matter until Christmas anyway. Yeah, so the Warriors, I mean, if the Warriors are like, I don't know, 10 and 30 at that point. Oh, or, tank. Yeah. They're, 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 Draymond Green's the leader on the team, though. Tanking with Mark Jackson. Did, who did that get them? Uh, they didn't. Did they tank with Mark Jackson? Yeah, they tanked to get a pick. Uh, one of the what, what year the highest it? pick they had recently was Harrison Barnes. It might have been for Harrison Barnes. They tanked one year. That everyone ran him out of town. Steph had bad ankles. You know, they they tanked one year, and I think that's what, how they got Harrison Barnes. Yeah, then they won on that run where Jackson got him the playoffs a couple years, and then Steve Kerr comes in. Just like, uh, just like they always say with Gruden, how Gruden came in and won with Dungey's guys. Gonna, Kerr came in and won with Mark Jackson's guys. We're see how good a coach Steve Kerr is now without the best talent. All right, that's going to do it for A's Cast Live. Happy birthday, Commander. Be safe tonight. And we will be back. We're going to replay this show. And then we're going to be back on Monday from 1 to 4. We're going to be talking gold gloves. Holy, we'll be talking to the A's who have won gold gloves. We'll be doing that on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.